You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Another week of the NFL season means another shot at winning big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say that's a no-brainer. If a sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and a $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. <laughs> All right, out, out in the, on the line, out in Long Island. Finally, hey, he's not going to give her the Lazito. He's going to give us the Lazito. Who do I have on the line? But Joe, Joe, Joe Lazito. Joe, how you doing today? Uh, doing awesome, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I w- I've been looking forward to this ever since we decided to do it. So uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. No, absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, yeah, like I said, this is this is kind of weird to uh, like to not be doing my big intro talking about the network and then you know your merchandise. Well, we can get into your merchandise, but uh, um, well, first of all, you you know, of course, you have your own show. I as I mention every week on the show, but. Uh, Coliseum Chronicles. It's a New York Islander enforcer podcast. Um, how's that been going for you? And uh, and uh, what, what's your what, what's uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the podcasting world in general right now? Well, first, I, I honestly, and I know I know we joke around a lot, but uh, 
seriously, I just want to thank you because uh, the amount of, of time that you give to promoting my show every, uh, well, I'd say twice a week, but um, th- what you say and, and what you say about me, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, all your listeners, anyone that's given my show a chance, I appreciate that. But uh, but thank you for, uh, for constantly pumping my tires. And, uh, you know, um, I'm very grateful for that. So like I said, as much as we fuck around, I, I do want to, I do want to say that in all seriousness. And, uh, oh God, as far as, uh, you know, my show, uh, you know, uh, it, it's going good, man. You know, like you've been talking about lately where, where the whole guest thing goes in ebbs and flows. And I, I happen to be on a, on a good streak right now. Uh, but that could change in a heartbeat. I mean, we've all been through it. So, uh, I've been real fortunate, had some really good guests, uh, I got uh, Rick Hayward recently and um, Matt Karkner. I got some really good feedback on those episodes. And uh, uh, Vern Smith, I think, was in between those uh, those two. I got good feedback on that. So, um, I mean, if, for me, it, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it anymore. And, and it's still fun. It's frustrating at times, but for the most part, it's fun. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, podcasting in general, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know I'm not pumping my own tires, but uh, well, uh, I, I'd say there's a lot of mediocrity out there, and, and maybe I'm included in that. I don't know, but uh, I know I work hard and I try. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, the state of podcasting in general is something that uh, we could do a whole episode on. Well, I read somewhere recently; it was just the other day that there are more hockey podcasts than there are NHL players. And oh. it- and I was like, oh, I don't, I, I actually thought I was just like, oh yeah. And I'm like, it probably 90% of them shouldn't fucking have podcasts. But I mean, of course, then again, like you said, maybe we're include, maybe I'm including ourselves in that. I mean, there are a few people that would be like, yeah, we should be included in that. But, uh, yeah, no, how, how I'm trying to think, how long have you been doing it for? Uh, cause I'm trying to think um, when I, I initially had you on way back when, but I think that was on my original show when i wasn't on the network yet and i don't think you were doing a podcast yet no i think uh no definitely not and i think i started um i i gun to my head i'm gonna say christmas week this year will be two years that i've i've been doing it Uh, i'm pretty sure um that's when i started was was about christmas week two years ago i know that when i i decided to do one I had reached out to a lot of a lot of the players that I've kept in contact with just to kind of get a feel if they would be interested in coming on the show, because if they would have said, I don't know, I don't know, then, you know, if I'm reaching out to 25 guys and five guys are saying that they'll do it, then at that point I would have just said, well, I'm not going to bother. But I did take some time to do that. And and most of the guys were receptive. So uh, and, and, you know, then you, you know, have to figure out how to do this. I mean, my setup is definitely not as elaborate as most people's. I have my uh, $20 gamer headset and a laptop here. But uh, I think I started preparing in uh, in October, and I think I went live with um, – well, I did an introductory episode, and then uh, the first actual guest episode was, of course, uh, part one of, of the Dean Ewan epic. So I think that was released uh, the end of December in uh, 20, 2019. There you go. Yeah, well, you started off with that great interview with Dean Ewan. And I always laugh because, of course, my first one was with Josh Mazur, who turned out to be an awesome guest. And it was like, oh, shit, we got spoiled out of the gate. 
If I'd only known. Yeah, if I'd had like someone, sh- a couple shitty ones right in a row, maybe I would have shut it down right away. But I actually, it was like him and then Dakota Hodgers. And then, you know, it was like, oh, this is actually going pretty good. This is, this is easy shit. I could just phone these guys up and boom, I get two hours out of them. And this is just great. They answer all my questions. Oh shit. If I'd only known Joe, if I could go back and talk to myself. But that's <laughs> well, I, you know, just to, to go on on what you're saying, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I stepped on you there already. I'll probably do that 20 times. But I think what happens is, and and I'm speaking more as a listener, uh, you know, basically, like I said, listen to your show, listen to Alex's show every, every second of every episode. And um, the finished product is always something that's very enjoyable. And it's kind of like, you know, people always say you like hot dogs, but you just don't know, want to know how they're made. Well, you know, like I, I can speak for myself and I, I feel comfortable speaking for yourself and Alec, like the work that goes into it to, to get that finished product out there. Um, and that includes, you know, research and time. And then if you're going back and forth on the phone with these guys, you know, because everybody, you know, most of these guys are working jobs now. You know, they're not they didn't make $10 million a year when they played. So they're working regular jobs, whether it's nine to five or overnights or whatever. Um so to try to match up schedules, it, it's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, I think it's a credit to, to people who do their shows correctly um, that they make it they make it look easy. And, um, you know, and I think you're definitely you're one of those and Alex, one of those and and a few of the other shows that I listen to. But um, really, if it uh, if the finished product is enjoyable, then that's all that counts. But for people who don't put content out, I don't think they fully grasp what exactly goes into it so uh but uh, like i said I, I i do and i appreciate the content that you put out every week well thank you i you know i don't know if i'm exactly thrilled that all of a sudden you're bringing up fucking part-time only four four, <laughs> four minutes into this thing and that mud show out in florida i don't know you know i mean he's probably gonna say that you and i were recording this at uh you know at the uh at the seniors home in florida after the blue light special, right? Exactly. We're, you got to hit Denny's there at four o'clock to get the early bird. But yeah, yeah, in Del Boca Vista. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna play. Great some... nickname, by the way. I I love. I say it every week. I absolutely love that nickname, and uh, I just think it, it's it's genius, isn't it? Simplicity. I absolutely love part time only. So well, the funny part was I was trying to say Ola Salem and I couldn't get it out, and I just went with Oli. I cut myself off, and I was just like, "All right, part-time only is even better, actually." But it's perfect, yeah. perfect. I said, "Well, maybe if we wrap up this list here, maybe I'll, we'll get him on the phone. Maybe we'll do a group chat at the end. We, you and I, could both chastise him on the air." Yeah, <laughs> what? I'm up for anything. Yeah, I think we might have to do that. But uh, for the listeners out there, what I I got Joe on the horn here, and I mean, we're not going to talk Islanders or anything like that. Well, we got a few Islanders to talk about, but um, did I even say the episode? This is episode 149, if you're keeping score at home. I don't even know if I said that at the start, but oh, well, whatever. Um, But Joe, for those that don't know, you were a a contributor to, for the younger listeners, like part-time Ole, he's not going to have a clue what I'm talking about, but for the older listeners, back in the day, before the internet's machine and all that stuff, and social media and all this nonsense... We had to do it the old-fashioned way and go to the bookstore and get magazines to the newsstand. And there was Tough Guy Magazine that came out once a year. And that's where I first read the name Joe Lazito. And he was a contributor. And you did all the rankings and everything. And how many episodes, or how many episodes, how many uh, issues of Tough Guys came out? 
Uh, you know what? <laughs> I believe it. I, here, I'm talking about how much preparation I do. You think I would have said, oh, yeah. Well, I, I want to say total, uh, and I didn't work on all of these. Uh, if I, again, gun to my head, if I had a, I'd say maybe seven, um, but I didn't work on all of them. And there was one that was more geared towards power forwards. Um, and I, I think the first two might have been like hockey heroes and forcers. It was all done by hockey stars. Um, but then they they changed it uh, changed it up to tough guys and in the tough guy series it may have been five or so but uh, like I said I I think I worked on three maybe four uh, but uh, but overall there might have been seven or eight yeah I'm, well of course regular listeners will know I'm trying to sell my condo and move so all my shit's packed away in a rubbermaid tit out in the uh, sitting out in the Quonset out at the farm uh, so I couldn't. I know I have every, every, I keep wanting to say episode, every issue except for the first one. I think the first one's blue and it's got Probert on the cover, I think. I don't have that one, but okay. I have the rest of them on there all. Uh, yeah. Of course, mine are all tattered and torn because, of course, I had to, I'd take all the pictures out, right? Slap them in my locker and everything else because where else are you going to find color goon pictures, right, back then? But so what came first? Was it the Fischler books or these? Uh, actually the first thing that came, first things first was this all happened when I was working for, uh, Bruce Bennett studios. And the first thing I actually did was there was a magazine in, uh, Norway, Sweden, and Finland called pro hockey magazine. And every month they had a uh, feature on a different enforcer. They called it ice fighters. So we supplied the pictures for them and the, um, Stein, the guy who was, uh, that was, they were published in all three countries. Stein was based in Norway. He would come by a couple times a year. He was a big Rangers fan. So he would come by to get pictures and stuff, stay a couple of weeks, I guess, go to some games. And we just got to talking one day. And I said, listen, if you guys want to get me a press pass, I could actually interview these guys in person. Because again, dating ourselves, what they would do was uh, submit a bunch of questions via fax. They would fax it to the team and then they would, I guess they would hope that uh, the players would fill out the questions and then send it back. So this kind of eliminated the uncertainty there. So um, he was more than happy to do that for me. And I did that for them for a couple of years. Um, And then similarly to that, we also did the photos for hockey stars and, there was, you know, they would do these, uh, I, I guess maybe a few of the issues actually came out, I think, before I was working there. So I was just picking them up as a fan. And then uh, one year came out and, and um, it might have been the year like the power forward type year. And I was, you know, I wasn't a fan of that issue. So I would speak to them. And I, I think, again, it was just trying to make the most of an opportunity where you, you put yourself out there. And I had mentioned to them, hey, I'm I'm. You know, I'm very much into hockey fights and everything like that. So um, if you want, I'm more than happy to, you know, help with this stuff as much as you want me to or as little as you want me to. But I'd love to help contribute. And uh, we had a trial run the first year and they they enjoyed what I did. And I did think I did it for the last few issues. And then they went. uh, uh, I think they changed the name of the magazine. And um, then that was it. And then uh, the thing with Fischler. I actually, I've actually never met Stan. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, Anthony. He actually worked for Stan for a while, but I didn't even know Anthony back then. Um, I was in the press box at the Nassau Coliseum, 
and there were these two people sitting next to me. Uh, they were kids. They, it ended up they were uh, two of Stan's interns, and they were talking about fighters and everything. So I was just being nosy, you know, like I could hear their conversations and everything. And I just, again, I, just making putting yourself out there. I said, hey, uh, uh, just a question. Are you guys talking about uh, Fischler's Bad Boys books? Yeah, we are. You know, there's another one coming out. And so I said, oh, I said, uh, you know, uh, again, just introducing myself and saying, you know, I'm very much into the the uh, that aspect of hockey. If, uh, if there's anything that uh, you can, if there's a role, you know, that I could fulfill for this book, I'm more than happy to. And, uh, and then that was it. So it was... Um, that I helped on one book. That was the uh, the ultimate bad boys. That was the one with uh, a shirtless Brent Severin pounding away at Aaron Ward on the cover. So, uh, so that's really the the chronology of of um, my involvement with these publications. And you know, just a word to you kids out there. You know, like if you're confident in anything that you do, if the opportunity arises, just just put yourself in the situation and just. The worst anyone can say is no, and that's really what it was. Any one of these people could have said, no, nah, we're good, but they gave me a chance, and uh, and it worked out for me. No, absolutely, and, uh, well, Stein from Norway. It wasn't that asshole Yuka or whatever from Finland, was it? <laughs> no, I, I don't even know. Yuka probably would have been in diapers back then. Yeah, probably. You know? and, and just, you know, one more thing. Uh, we were speaking about part-time Oli, and before, when you and I were texting back and forth about this issue, and we were talking about how it's actually been 25 years since this issue has been out, is Oli even 25? I don't even think he's 25 yet. If he is, he just turned 25. I, I believe he just turned 25. So, yeah. So, this, these, this these, is older than him. Exactly. This, these <laughs> pieces of paper are older than Oli here. Yeah. So that's how, that's how far back you and I go here. But I remember just like when these magazines first came out, I mean, it was, just, this was the ultimate, right? Because it was just like, like you never, I mean, the hockey news or whatever, I mean, before it turned completely garbage, I mean, they would do the odd fight thing or maybe have a little odd fight article, but, and the hockey stars magazine now and again might have a write up on a guy, but for the most part, and again, no internet or anything like that, you, there was no information on these people, right? So you just it was all box scores or if you're lucky enough to get fight tapes which was comes to my next question of course for the magazines and whatever you did rankings and whatever again before the internet and youtube how did obviously who are you getting your fight tapes from um back then i think i was getting the season compilations from uh, nikki v yeah. um so i think uh there was a local guy here on long island named rob who I used to get them from. And then, uh, then I started chatting with Nikki and, uh, and then we would just, I don't know, swap stuff and everything. And I was getting the season, uh, compilations from, uh, from Nick, who by the way, has an ad in this, this, uh, issue. I think he had ads in all the, uh, in all the tough guy magazines, but, uh, but yeah, that was it. Like you say, it's not like I could go to YouTube and plug in Tony twist or Sandy McCarthy. It was, you know, if you want to know the process, I, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but literally the process, to doing this was um i and again this is all hand i'm not there's no uh no internet at my house or at, or at anyone's house at this point so i basically have a notebook or a pad and i just make a list of every team and i i write down who the fighters are and you know you could once you write down if a team had four guys you could probably cross out at least two of them on most teams and most teams it was just one guy let's say but some teams had two 
kind of like who who could potentially be in the top 25 and i narrow it down to probably 35 or 40 guys and each guy would get a section of the pad or the book and then it's pretty much just get the list of the tape get the you know get the tape and pretty much fast forward play fast forward play and making notes and and then coming up with something at the end so it was pretty time consuming to be honest but it was watching fights so it wasn't so bad well, it's like that kind of, what's this, a labor of love, right? You know, but, yeah. uh, well, I know, and like you said, you were kind of interviewing the guys and you were around them. I know yeah. you have a lot of contact, especially with the Islander guy, Fakoda and Bomber and those guys, but was there anyone that like, cause I mean, you know, like, cause obviously the guys saw the magazine. Did any of them ever yeah. be like, oh, hey, what the fuck? 13, are you serious? You know? <laughs> no, you want to know who, who uh, used to get the biggest kick out of the magazine and I, I swear to God, he'd always ask me, when's it coming out? And that was Brad May. And he, we would always talk about the guys in there. And he would always – he would actually give me shit for putting him in the magazine and not Rob Ray. And he – one year we were – I remember we were, uh, we were sitting at the Marriott and uh, we were bullshitting. And I had a copy of the magazine. And he just takes it and he goes, look – and he's, you know, whoever's number one, whoever's number two, like he's going through like the top five. He goes, these guys are fucking machines. He goes, I can't compete with these guys. These guys are, you know, like Twist and McCarthy and Grimson and Simon, all these guys. He's like, these guys are animals. Like he was always very, for a guy who had the career that Brad May did, you know, he was always very humble about it. And uh, he would always be like, I don't belong in this magazine with these guys. There's no way, you know, and, and we actually had a philosophical talk about his role with the Sabres and Rob Ray's role. And I always said, look, I just, and at that point, like I said, this is, this is uh, still the time where they're wearing the, the blue and gold, um, you know, still the time where Ray's coming out of his Jersey a lot. And, and I've gone on record saying that I think Rob Ray was twice the fighter once he had to keep his Jersey on. Um, and we would talk about it. And, and, and Brad was very honest. And he said, look, if it wasn't for Rob Ray, I have to fight all these monsters in the front of this magazine. And he goes, because he's here, that leaves me to fight, say, the second tier guys. And he goes, I'll always fight the – I'll fight anybody. He goes, but I don't have to because we have Rob. And he goes, it takes a lot of pressure off me. So, uh, you know, it's just the kind of guy that, that Brad May is, always trying to give credit to someone else. But but he always got a kick out of it. But, uh, no, I don't think anyone any, – nobody ever gave me shit, you know. So uh, I, I think Brad was the one – who got the the most excited for it every year? Did um, I know what you talked to? And you don't have to names or anything like that. It's your stories, and it, yeah. you know it was a conversation that you guys had. But I know when talking to guys, did they ever kind of like? Because uh, I know doing the podcast and stuff, and like you do it as well. A lot of the guys are, oh no, he was tough. Oh, he's a good guy. That's like their answer to everything, right? It's like mm-hmm. okay. I know you didn't like half the guys you fought, man. Like, come on, you know, or whatever, right? Did you ever yeah. have a lot of guys? Um, were they pre- were they still pretty guarded with you, or were, did they kind of let it down and be like, ah, uh, like, like just not even just the magazine, but they kind of like, ah, uh, he's a joke. Now, fuck that guy. <laughs> did they ever do that with you and just kind of give you the yeah, but don't write that or anything? Did you get did you get any of that? Yeah, you know, I I was I always say I was I was pretty lucky because when um, when I moved to Long Island in 1985, uh, I moved to a town called Levittown. And and for people that are familiar with New York, you know, that's only like a 10 minute drive to Nassau Coliseum. So once 
uh, once I got my driver's license, I was pretty much up at the Marriott because the, the way the hotel and the arena are situated, it's pretty much separated by it's in this, almost the same parking lot. So with the exception of a few players, you know, the upper echelon type guys, uh, everyone, everyone is walking across. So it was a really good place for people to get autographs or meet the guys and everything like that. So for me, once I got once I started uh, driving, which is probably 88, I would say. Um, I was up there all the time and I would always go up there and, and make fight tapes for the guys and, um, you know, try to swap it out for, for sticks or whatever. And because it was the enforcers, everybody's there to see the scorers or somebody else. And, um, it was very rare that I had to like, you know, get my elbows up with someone to get some of these guys time because it just, at that point, it just wasn't a thing. So, um, no matter who it was, I could, just wait and then as they're walking out i can just like you know introduce myself and say hey you know i made these fight tapes for you whatever and and literally it became to the point where some guys i would uh, that i got to know pretty well i would go with 10 tapes i would go with the whole season and and give them that stuff and uh you know some guys i had that kind of friendship with so oh yeah i mean i I, guys would tell me stuff all the time and uh and they trusted me you know i mean it didn't happen right away but after you see the same person year after year and and you know guys i was i was accepted into that fraternity let's say relatively quickly because i think they could tell that uh that i supported what they did and i wasn't out to you know start any bullshit you know or or spread anything i mean again this is pre-internet but I, i don't think that matters um i think they trusted me so yeah i heard uh i heard a lot of stories i heard i i had guys tell me you know, make sure the VCR is going on Thursday because I'm I'm going to jump this guy or I'm going to fuck this guy up or whatever. And, uh, you know, and yeah, they would tell me who they don't like or whatever. And, and most of the time when they said, get you know, make sure you got the VCR going, it, it came to fruition. It was always fun because I could tell one of my buddies or, um, you know, I could. Well, eventually when I started dating uh, Andrea, uh, I would say, oh, yeah, this guy just said, watch this. This is going to happen. And then when it happened, like it was it was just cool to kind of feel like, you know, at that age. You're you're like eighteen, nineteen years old. You feel like you're the, like, oh yeah, I knew this was going to happen. So it's like, like you're the you're insider. Like, you're the insider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for for thirty seconds, you're like, oh, it's fucking great. He told me that was going to happen, and it happened. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I've been I've been really fortunate, and um, you know, and, and I, like you know, we always say, you and I and Alec, no, you know, if it wasn't for the the guys, we wouldn't have shows, and um, and if it wasn't for how cool they that I've been treated over the years, I mean. There, there's when um, there's been times where I would I would meet a guy whatever on the way to the arena, they'd have me come down in the locker room because it was still before the game, a couple hours before the game, throw the tape in and they'd start asking me questions. Oh, did, this guy just got called up. What do you know about him? And I'm like, that's like I still sit back and I think about it and I'm like, like not not only do I feel like do I think that was pretty cool, but also like holy shit, these guys are really trusting me with my opinion on someone who they may fight that night. And I'm just like, that to me is, it just blows my mind. But again, I think it, I think it really is more about them. It's more about, you know, the, the trust that they had in me. And, um, you know, I don't think I ever steered anyone wrong. Although if you want to hear a funny story, um, one of the, it's a, a, a picture I've posted. People have seen it on my social media, uh, Dean, you and fighting David Maley in a preseason game. And, it just so happened that I didn't get to speak to Dean before the game. So I go to the game and uh, mainly get lands a few shots, all lefts. And uh, I remember after the game, 
I go to the Marriott after waiting for him. And uh, he just, I'm talk, I think I was talking to Wayne Doucette at the time. And, and uh, Dean comes in and he like goes, why didn't you fucking tell me he was a lefty? And I'm like, I didn't talk to you before the game. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. But he goes, oh, my God. He goes, gee, I took a few there. So, you know, but, but I mean, Dean's a different, uh, he's a different animal when it comes to friendship with me than, than everybody else. But, uh, no, I, geez, I talk about long-winded answer, but fuck, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask you, if you ask you what time it is, you're going to tell me how to build a watch, but that's all right. But... <laughs> No, that's good. No, no, we, you know, no, I'm just kidding. No, that was a great story, man. Yeah. No, the, um, well, and I will say from, yeah, from my own experience, especially back in the day, man, fight footage, that's fucking currency when you're dealing with players, man. I can tell you that. That that can get you some shit when you got fight footage because all the boys love seeing their tilts. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And then, and then especially with the minor league guys, when, uh, you know, I remember uh, when Chicago started uh, with their affiliation with Norfolk, and uh, I was in Philly at the time, and um, I would go down after the games and everything, and I was uh, bullshitting with Aaron Downey, and I gave him some stuff, and he's like, you should do our tapes. So I go, if you get me your, your videos, I'll put together your tape, no problem. And then uh, at the end of the year, uh, I would, uh, you know, he introduced me to Trent Yanni, introduced me to the GM, Al McIsaac. And, uh, you know, it was, that was it. At the end of the year, Al would send me the boxes of the Norfolk tapes. And, I, you know, I did them for several years from, you know, the time that Downey was there up to the time that Thornton was there. So, and then that's the thing, like they trust you enough where they'll tell the GM, yeah, send this guy the the game tapes and they'll put together a team fight tape so you know i was fortunate enough to have uh, a bunch of contacts doing that so once you start with uh with the nhl stuff and then it starts going into the minor league stuff and then i i didn't have the opportunity for junior stuff being uh, where i live but that's something that you would know a little bit about um but it's just like you say it's great because then you have stuff that nobody else has and if a player on another team fought somebody on norfolk that year Oh, I have that fight. Oh, do you really? I'd love to see it. And then it's just like, like you say, it's currency and they're willing to, you know, they just don't want, you know, most of these guys are like, oh, what can I give you for it? And most of the time it's like, no, just take it, you know, but uh, yeah, no, yeah. the guys, it's a simple, simple answer is the guys are awesome and you're happy to do stuff for them. I mean, to be honest, it's, you're just happy to do it because you know, it's appreciated. No, I don't, I never mind putting in the work if I know it's appreciated and, and there, it always was. No, absolutely. And uh, while here, uh, there, I, I learned something today already. I didn't know that was you that did those Norfolk tapes. Okay, yep. well, there you go. Oh, yeah. you, the Aaron Downey Norfolk stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, Downey, Thornton, all those years. Jeff Paul was there, and uh, yeah. Andrew was there. And, uh, Parrot was there. Yeah, that's uh, that all came from me. Well, I got the Thornton stuff. I might have to talk to you about the Downey stuff off air. <laughs> but that's how I first, that was my first dealings with you. Was you had the ninety eight ninety nine Thunder Las Vegas Thunder stuff when Ewan was there, and yep. and you put together their tape and I believe I sent you my Blade stuff for it and that's how you and I started talking because that was ninety eight and yep. and then it was like oh yeah you're the guy from the magazines and then it was just like oh like fuck here we are I'm talking to Celebrity Joe and he actually gave me the time of day and now look at us here twenty some years later 
Yeah, uh, I think uh, Long Island and, and Celebrity Joe's. Uh, we have Joey Buttafuoco and me, so uh, so it's not uh, it's not a very illustrious list. Well, and and you have more merchandise than he does, so you're in the lead. So <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I don't know how much you. Well, there are a lot of crazy people in the world. Joey Buttafuoco may be able to sell some merchandise, but uh, you know, yeah. I don't know. But uh, you know, that, that's true. <laughs> I laugh when you call me a celebrity. Yeah, there's a lot of nuts. Joey Buttafuoco t-shirt might sell pretty well. There you go. There you go. But uh, no, yeah. it's funny. I didn't know you did the Norfolk stuff. Um, yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah, and like you said, it's uh, yeah. Anytime you can kind of help the players out. I mean, now with YouTube and they played in the NHL, whatever. It's all out there. But even still to this day, like the minor league guys and the junior guys, yeah, it's like ninety five percent of them don't have anything. So it's right. like even if you can supply them with anything, it um, you know is is um, is cool. So. Yeah, and to be able to help those guys out, it's it's always fun to help the players out for sure. But um, well, uh, like we said with these magazines, you did the rankings and stuff, and I told I said to Joe, I said, well, I don't have my magazines in front of me, obviously here, so could you grab one of them, send me the rankings, and we'll talk about them. Just pick one issue. So you pick the issue, uh, and it is the ninety five ninety six season with your with your rankings. Or I guess your rankings would be based on the 95-96 season. Yeah. So I guess we're going 96-97, but you're using the year before. So look at this. I'm just confusing everybody. But uh, <laughs> I was told there would be no math here today. I know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it's funny because the reason I wanted the whole preamble and you had to watch the tapes. and So clearly you didn't see all of their fights from that year. Well, whatever was on TV, I did whatever was on TV because I would get the whole, the whole season because it was done at like when I would have done this, it would have been during the 96, 97 season. So I would have had all the tapes already. Okay. Yep. Because it was like, all right. So I went through their fight cards and, um, I, I, it was, your rankings are interesting. Some of the, some of the guys you have ranked where they are, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) Thank you for for putting that nicely. Well, and knowing you now, I can see there's some. I don't want to say homerism. Homerism, such a terrible, harsh word, but I'm thinking there's some skullduggery going on here with this list because there's a a few. And it's funny that you mentioned Rob Ray because yep. I have and folks, we didn't set that up or anything. The Matt, the Brad May story there, but I have written with a star beside it. Ask why there's no Rob Ray on the list. Yeah, because yeah. there's because he actually had a pretty good year that year, and uh, there's some guys. On, I don't want to say they had bad years, but I was like, yeah, I'd probably put Ray ahead of these guys. But, but oh. okay, go ahead. Well, no, it's like uh, like you said, it's all up to opinion when you're watching stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, well, I I like t- was, I, I think I think. Uh... Obviously, I can't go back into my my twenty five year old brain um, and say what I was thinking. Uh, I like I say, I readily admit anyone that knows me knows that uh, I've I've never been a fan of Rob Ray's. And, and again, it's in a magazine, so I, I, that shouldn't come into play. Uh, I really the the jersey thing it did bug me. It did it did bug me. And like I said, I to his credit. I'll always say it, like I said earlier, once he had to keep the jersey on, I thought he was three or four times the fighter he was with the jersey off. Um, 
the Jersey thing was always something that stuck in my craw. And, um, you know, again, should he have been here, you know, thinking back, probably, probably. Um, and I think a lot of the grief I took from the people on the message board, uh, especially a couple of people that come to mind right away were, uh, were Rob Ray fans. So, uh, but that's okay. Like I said, uh, the one thing I always said when I was, (laughs) when I was getting shit for it was, listen, it's very easy to find out how to contact these people. Be my guest. If you want to do this next year, just let them know. I will step aside. It's all you. So, uh, but yeah, no, like I said, it's all subjective. And actually, as far as the, um, let's, let's call it a bias. Whenever I would do this, I always had, I always had um, Mick Vakoda in mind because I'm like, if I put him too high, then people are going to say, well, you know, it's, he loves Mick Vakoda, this and that. So I always, he was the one guy I always think I put lower on the list than maybe he deserved to be all the years. Or if I even left him off, I don't even remember because he was the one guy that I was always cognizant of, you know, I, I love, I love Mick Vakoda. I do. And I was always like, well, if I put him too high, are people going to bitch and moan about that? So I, I think I over I overthought it at times where maybe I shouldn't have, but uh, you know, again, I, I'm thinking of it as a 51 year old now is a lot different than thinking of it as a 25 year old. But I mean, listen, it's all it is is my opinion on printed paper, and you know, everybody's got opinions, so uh, it doesn't mean that I'm right. Oh, absolutely, and I will tell the folks listening out there, especially for the younger ones that weren't around for the fight. Well, I mean, I guess the message boards around hockey fights too, but the initial hockey fight message boards which i always go i always kind of call like fried chicken fight site was sort of the original hockey fight site at least for me it was um that had like the most uh but and it was there was a lot of members and there was a lot of and that board was super active all the time because even back then because i mean like all the games had tilts and there's lots to talk about and 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 obviously it was a new form the internet and these are new so this is all new stuff we weren't rehashing old thing old topics because there was no topics made up yet. This is all new shit, new frontier for everybody. So, of course, when the magazines came out, that was... I mean, there was a few issues before the internet, but then kind of into the internet age and the fight message board, all of a sudden these magazines would come out once a year. Oh, man, you would get fucking drilled on those boards, man, <laughs> for those rankings. Yeah, yeah. I, I can remember a few of... I'd love to go back on the way back machine and like dig up those old things because holy shit because i mean yeah. we've seen like people now see what social media is like and the idiocy that goes on on social media it was the same thing back then with on these message yeah. boards you had you know ray fan 32 of course he's gonna fucking <laughs> tear you a new one or you know whatever scott parker fan or whatever and and i was just thinking um i can't i guess it would be would be 98, 99, whatever year Parker's first year was, I remember yeah. you included him in the rankings. And as a Parker, I was so, because again, I had seen him in junior, right? He wasn't new to me. I had known him for four years. So I had watched So when you included him in the list, I was like, holy shit, Scott Parker made the list. This is awesome. Of course, I thought it was awesome. Numerous people on the message board sure didn't think it was awesome, but... Um, <laughs> But it was interesting because I would have done exactly what you did. Well, I would have been I, biased as shit. I'm not going to lie. I'd be putting yeah. dudes in that I like and fuck the guys I didn't like. And oh yeah, I totally would have done that. 
Well, I think I think what happened with uh, I think it was a few years before the Parker one, and I don't have the internet up, but it was when I got to the point where I was up to like the high twenties and twenty five. I, I said to myself, could I make should I make twenty five the twenty fifth best fighter in my opinion, or should I kind of acknowledge somebody? Like just something different. And I, I one year I did Jeff Rogers, the year he was on the Bruins, and they were just god awful and they were just I mean, beyond shitty. But every night Jeff Rogers was out there, you know, giving a hundred percent, battling for his teammates, f- uh, fighting anybody. And was Jeff Rogers the twenty fifth best fighter that year? Probably not. But I said, you know what, this guy he doesn't get any credit anywhere else. I'm going to give him credit. So I, I, Rogers might have been the first. And then one year I did, uh, it was the year Kyle Friedrich. Uh, I think I did Kyle Friedrich and Gordy Dwyer like co number twenty five. And then it was it was Parker because he was the the guy coming out of Kelowna. And I was like, he's probably even though at that point I don't he hadn't fought anybody yet. You know, uh, I'm like this guy is coming out. He's like the next big thing. So should I put in the 25th best fighter or should I not create a buzz, but kind of like, Hey, this is the guy coming in and I'm really excited to see him. And I think a lot of the stuff on the board, I mean, you know, um, with, with a lot of the hate, I think for Parker on the boards came from Kevin who Parker lived with at the time, because I guess, you know, Kevin was, you know, good friends with him, whatever. And he'd, he'd always pump him up and everything. And, and I guess people grew tired of that. And I think a lot of the, the anti-Parker sentiment came from actually people not caring about Kevin constantly pumping his tires. I mean, I spoke to Kevin all the time. I really, he never bothered me. He was always good to me. Uh, But I know a lot of people had issues with him. And I think that's where a lot of the anti-Parker Parker stuff came from. So I think when, uh, when I put him at 25 that year, I think it was just more an extension of that. Oh, here we go again. You know, another guy here with Parker. But I mean, that year, you know, he, I mean, he was going to make the NHL anyway, or, you know, at least start in Hershey, let's say. But, like, why would you, um, you know, people just, you know what it is? People need something to bitch about. I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything differently. I was happy that I put Jeff Rogers at 25 once. I was happy I put Parker there. And, you know, it's, it's the way it goes. I mean, I guess the most important thing is people people didn't like it all the time but they bought the issues and i think every year it was the best selling issue and really i'm sure that's all hockey stars gave a shit about was how many issues they sold and every year i think it was the best selling issue yeah no absolutely and uh yeah wild i think yeah definitely the parker hate was more due to kevin than uh, parker himself that's for sure um because kevin would cause a lot of shit on those boards um I, again, he like I talked to him a bunch of times, and he was always all right with me. I mean, I don't have any yeah. personal animosity. To, I know he screwed over a few people, but he never did to me. So right. it was, but uh, but yeah, he was. Uh, for anybody wondering, he was the guy. He actually filmed all the Colo- all the Parker Kelowna Junior fights. You see, it's because of him, and he yeah. filmed them. And uh, yeah, so he was always pumping up Parker and. I think there's like hate for Parker to this day, 25 years later from some people on Facebook, you read it and it's like, Oh my God, dude, get over it. Like, Jesus, are you serious? Like, you know, but, uh, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Oh yeah. It's just like, what are you doing? But, uh, not saying you got to love Parker if you don't want to, but it's like, I, I guess I was like, dislike him for like reasons other than, 
oh, he got talked about on a message board a lot. Well, that's right. okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, whatever. <laughs> you know, but, yep. but mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, people are not. But I was like, oh, yeah, the shit that you used to take. But I will say, <laughs> I can't remember what. I did an episode, uh, one of my, I can't remember what episode it was, but I had one of your mag, one of, one of the magazines out and I, and I did, I talked about the rankings and went through it all. And I think it was your, I think you called it down on the farm or something like that or prospects to watch or whatever. And man, you nailed it. Like every one of those guys was just like, like, yeah, it was like, they may not have played in the NHL, but it was like Ferone and like all these guys that were like killers, Rocky Thompson. And you know, like, I can't remember all the names now off the yeah. top of my head, but every name, like Blue Ann, I think was in there. And, but yeah, like Darcy Harris, McLaren, yeah. I think was in there. Yeah. 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 Oh McClure. yeah. That, and you know, to be honest with you, out of all the years I did, I did the magazine. That article was the, the thing I had the most fun with, right? It, writing that article. That was absolutely the thing I enjoyed the most. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, I take pride in that I did because I mean, it's always a crystal ball. I mean, you know, you, you've been around the game for a long time, you know, the enforcer game. So, you know, you got to get, get a coach that likes you or a GM that likes you. But um, at that point, uh, you know, I mean, anybody that likes hockey fights, you love the minors. And uh, at that point, that was even today, when I think about it, that was the thing I enjoyed the most out of all the issues I ever did was writing that story. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, I've often said the same thing with the minor league. I got a soft spot for those guys. And, uh, that's why I always like the minor league mayhem tournament so much. It's like as much as I like the probert one and whatever, it's got the cachet of like twist and chase and all coaster and all those guys. And that's cool. I like all those guys, obviously, but there's something about the minor league one where you're talking about throne and Baduk and, Brandon Sugden and all those guys. It's kind of like, I don't know. I have more fun with that one than I, than I do the NHL one. But, uh, so yeah, like I was really, uh, pumped to see your like down on the farm thing. And cause for us, well, it was like the names you used mm-hmm. again, it sounds so funny to say, but again, we never saw some of those guys. If they were in the OH, like we never saw Darcy Harris. I had no idea what, Dar- I couldn't have picked him out of a police lineup. I didn't know what he looked like. Never seen him fight. But when you threw out a few W, like when you used Ferone, well, remember all the Seattle tapes. So, I mean, we had seen Ferone and so it was cool to see him like two or three years later here. You're talking about him when he was with the crunch, you know, and it was like, and you see the progression because yeah, it was awesome. Uh, It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Because that was our news source, right? was like the magazines and, and that was it. I mean, or fight tapes, if you were lucky enough to find some. And that was the other thing you brought up, Nick, um, yeah, and I mean, people can't believe it now, but uh, not only in that magazine, but in the back of the ho- the hockey news of all things, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, God, now you think they'd cry if there's a fight. But I mean, yeah. back in the day, they had a classified section in the back, and and there was a bunch of guys in there selling fight tapes, and you'd write the magazine, and what was the uh, what was the the guy doing the magazine? What was it? Uh, the aggressive hockey report. Yeah, I don't. I never. I never got any of those. I, I never had any of those. Uh, but I, you know, I did get my first tapes from the back of the hockey news here. Yep. Um, it was uh, Phil Davis, not his real name, uh, and his thing was he had you had to buy two tapes, and it was seventy dollars, right? We imagine that, right? Two yep. tapes, seventy dollars. They were assorted tapes, 
And um, I, a buddy of mine lived around the corner, so we'd order like four at a time. I mean, how old am I? I'm, I'm probably working part time. And, uh, you know, so to get together 70 bucks was was a big deal. So we'd order like four tapes at a time. And then we, you know, each one of us would take two and run off copies for the other two. But uh, that was it. Yeah. Back of the hockey news, Phil Davis. Those were my first fight tapes. And uh, yeah, like I say, you laugh now with the hockey news being uh, so woke and everything now. But yeah, I think that's how a lot of us got it started. And there was, uh, I mean, every week you'd have probably eight or nine different ads for hockey fights. And I think we chose Phil because we were in New York and he was in New York. Um, and, uh, and then eventually, um, I, well, whoever else I, I ended up getting, we, like I said, the local guy, Rob here in New York, and then eventually it went to, uh, to Nikki, but, uh, but yeah, I never, you know, the aggressive hockey report, I see people posting those. I never, ever had any of those. No, I wish I, I would have killed somebody to have those. I didn't know anything about them. And for years, I didn't know anything about them until like, kind of recently and i think it was tony that brought him up and then um oh somebody yeah somebody put him up on somebody put the pdfs up on on uh on facebook and i was ron and i was reading them and it was just like oh i would have i would have killed a motherfucker to have these back in the day man like that would have been awesome and and like i said it sounds it's so archaic now for people to listen but back then that was man that would have been awesome to like in your all of a sudden, I'm going to start reading about the IHL and the AHL in my house. Like this is unbelievable, you know. Like that was it's, um, it's kind of well, you're you are an old school wrestling fan too, like I am. It's kind of like what did they call them, the sheets or whatever? Yeah, like all the underground newsletters, the wrestling newsletters that were out there with all the inside stuff and. Like the first time you read something like that, you're like, oh, my God, like it, it's a shock to the system. So now you get like like those were all over the place when we were younger. I don't know if they still are now, probably not with the Internet, but it, it was similar to that. And uh, I, I think I, and I'm sure you'll agree with this. I think for people like us and maybe it's different for you because you, you grew up in Canada. But for me, um, people, I think, thought I was crazy with the, how much I love hockey fights. Like they're just like, you buy tapes, you, you do this, you do this. So then when the internet pops up, I think it's almost like a shock to your system. When you find like fried chickens, hockey fight site. And you're like, Oh my God, there's hundreds of other lunatics out there just like me. And you kind of feel like you're part of this misfits club. And uh, all of a sudden it's like, well, you're the guy like in your circle of friends, like you're, you're the hockey fight master. And then all of a sudden there's a whole world out there that you see on the internet and it's like these people know just as much as you do if not more and especially like the older people that could talk about you know the the late 60s or the 70s you know and it's just like it's sort of like a shock to the system in a way because you're like wow i i thought i was the only nut job out here but apparently there's plenty of us oh completely oh absolutely yeah, yeah like uh, yeah like my friend we like the fights and whatever but I took it to a whole other level with the VHS yeah. tapes and all like they didn't, you know, they like coming over and watching them and stuff. And my friend Mike and Kevin and them, a couple of my brother and stuff. But I mean, they, you know, after a couple of minutes, they're like, oh, okay, let's go do, you know, they didn't really give a <laughs> shit. Right. But, oh yeah, I'm dubbing shit and making tapes and, and everything. And yeah, so all of a sudden to get on the internet and find fried chicken or, it was just like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. And then you start reading people's shit and it's like, Oh, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Like I thought I knew everything. I don't, I don't know anything compared to some of these people. Right. Like, yeah. But in my circle of friends, I was like the fight guy. Right. And, but exactly. Yep. Yeah. But as soon as I got on Friday, it's like, I could, I knew like the, the Western league, I could do that 
better than a lot of the guys in the thing. But I mean, all of a sudden, some guy starts talking about Nick Fatiu. I was just like, I don't, I have no, I barely know who that is, right? Like, right. I mean, I've seen him, I had his hockey card, but I mean, I couldn't name off 10 of his fights, right? But I mean, so you, it was like an education and you would yeah. read this stuff and then you, and then like you said, you start trading tapes and your collection starts building and you start learning more and it was just like, yeah, and it sounds, like I said, it sounds so old school, but, but that was like the great, like I said, going back with the great thing with these magazines and the Fischler books, like, those were gold, man. Like I read those tough guy magazines front, front to back a thousand times each. Like it was like you couldn't, uh, couldn't get enough of that type of thing. Cause like I said, the, the information was so, was so limited and it was just, um, yeah, this is all new shit. And I said to this day, I mean, I know everything's on the internet and stuff, but if some dude ever came out and said, I'm going to make a tough guy magazine like quarterly or, like just, I would, I'd be like, yeah. Well, how much for a subscription? And here's my PayPal. I'd buy it instantly because that would, I would love to have. Uh, like the internet's great, and to read stuff on the internet's awesome. But to actually have something in your hand and to hold it, I, I completely prefer that. Like when I go with books, like people, oh, do you do audio book? No, nah, no, nah, I want the actual book in my hand. I prefer that over. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just like I said, I'm old that way. I just like uh, to have something concrete in my hand. So. No, I'm I'm the same way, and uh, uh, you know I'll always prefer like people left like you know back when I I don't read newspapers anymore, but back when I did, I would always prefer the actual newspaper. And people are like, you know, you can get that online. I'm like, yeah, I know, I like the actual newspaper. But going back to what you said, if someone would do tough guys right now, it would be like top four in the NHL. <laughs> There's nobody left, so it would just be a top four, and you could kind of, you could make it interactive. You could put your your own top four, and uh, you know, they, you can have the perforated pages, and you can go well. If you think Ryan Reeves is number one, put him at number one, or uh, Tom Wilson, or Ross Johnson, or Lucic. But that would be it. I mean, maybe you could do a top five. Well, I don't think we would be doing any rankings. I think it would be a completely, entirely on a historical piece, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and, uh, well, maybe the odds, uh, you know, player spotlight, yeah, player spotlight, all three guys that fight in the issue, you know, and, yeah. you know, the up and comer, yeah, n- next year's heavyweight with three fights, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah fuck junior hockey, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, no, she's done. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know, I mean, and that is the other thing, like going through this and, well, like we were saying, like through text today, when you said, oh, yeah, we're going to do the 95-96 season. I was like, that's like 26 years ago. Like, yeah, I, it crazy. just, yeah, it was just like, I, you just don't think about it, right? It just, but it just yep. seems like yesterday. And it's like, yeah. you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, you're just going down the list. And it's just like, my God, where did the time yep. go? But I also always say, like, yeah, I might not have had the internet and all that stuff or phones in your pocket and all that, but... I don't know. I wouldn't have traded when I the era I grew up in for anything. I was so happy I did, and um, like yeah, looking back on the stuff, it's archaic, and we didn't have the information, and or if we got the information, it was like whatever twelve months later. But uh, I'd, I'd still prefer that than now. That's for sure. Well, same here. I always say all the time, like I was born in nineteen seventy. I, I almost wish I was born 
20 or 30 years before that, I, I would say it like when you watch old movies or TV shows and you see New York City, you know, everyone's dressed nice. The men are all in suits and fedoras and the women look nice and it's clean. And uh, it just looks like, you know, it, it, it's hard to believe that that's the city that I go to when I work, even though it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I I would never want to be, you know, like my kids now, they're, they're uh, 21 and 18 and I wouldn't ever want to go back into and be in their generation. I'm very happy where I was. And if anything, I would go back a decade or two, uh, maybe not the sixties cause they're all hippies and everything. But, uh, but I kind of like, uh, you know, looking back and everyone is, uh, dressed nice and, uh, you know, but that, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a proud dinosaur. So, uh, so that, that might just be me talking out of my ass. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, nope, yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, for all this preamble and our and everything, we should probably get into this, um, folks. This is the top twenty-five according to Joe Lozito in 1995-96. Yeah, and uh, all right. Well, and let me let me just say this for people that that have these issues. Um, there was one thing that I didn't like that every year that would happen, and I would tell him every year, please don't do that. Uh, the person who did the rankings before me was one of the editors, Dave Rosenbaum, who's a really, really good guy, but absolutely hated, hated fighting, hated hockey fights. Right. So when you read the write ups, like I, I did the rankings and I came up with the numbers. But when you read the write ups, if there's anything derogatory, that still bugs me. Like I'm while we're talking here, I'm just flipping through the pages and I'm seeing different things. And when I was looking at it before, I'm like, why does he have to write that? You know? Uh, but so that stuff always bugged me. And I think after the first year I was like, don't write that stuff. Cause like if we're, if we're pumping these guys up, then why would you want to say like negative shit about them? Like it just never made sense to me. But, uh, but every year there was always a couple of things in there that uh, like, I always say like, you know, I would say taking shots at him, you know, but, uh, I mean, like I said, other, other than the fact that, uh, he really didn't like hockey fights, didn't really like fighting in the sport that uh, Dave was a good guy, but that was something that always bugged me. And, and as I'm looking through this stuff now, I'm like, there's no reason for that. You know, just, uh, like I said, just these little shots, like, uh, you know, like four or five words in a sentence here or two sentences where it's kind of like you're pumping up this guy saying, well, he fought this guy, fought that guy. And then, uh, you know, should be a career minor leaguer or whatever. And it's like, why would you even put something like that in there? But that, uh, I will say that I, I will, uh, you, if people want to sling arrows my way for this magazine, absolutely. 100%. If you don't like the rankings, send them my way. But, the the little shots that were taken in the write-ups, definitely not me. And it actually irks me to this day, 25 years later, as I'm looking at it now. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. There we go. All right, sorry about that, folks. We're back out of here. I had to put it on pause. I had to go put my lasagna in the oven, my pre-made Costco lasagna I, that I know Joe is just seething over. The Italian and Joe is just like you go and buy that frozen bullshit. I know it. Well, I, the last few nights, uh, Andrea made a baked ziti uh, two nights ago, and I've I've just basically stuffed my fat face with it the last two nights. But yeah, I mean. Uh, Frozen lasagna is not the best thing, but uh, I'll allow it because you're not Italian. So No, no. <laughs> but I was going to say, for a good old Italian boy, hearing me putting a frozen lasagna in from Costco in the oven is just blasphemy. Yeah. Ah, yeah. You know, it's not, like I said, it's not ideal, but I'll allow it. There we go. 
But all right, well, there's a few things in this list I might not allow here. We're going to go over this, and it's going to be fried chicken all over again. But uh, 1995-96, folks, get out your time machines and go back and uh, take the ride with us here. And, um, well, first of all, like we were were laughing about the magazines and stuff, it's funny, like you said, you, you know, you do 25 guys. And, I mean, you could do 25 more back then. Like, you, you know, it could have been the top 50 list. I mean, or top 60. There was that many guys in the league and around. I mean, now you couldn't even do a top five. But, I mean, you know, back then you had your pick. And it's just it's amazing how things have changed over the years. You know, every team was like two and three guys deep. But uh, number 25 on the list was his, uh, was his first full year in the NHL. But the old uh, the pride of the Maritimes, uh, Darren Langdon. Yeah, I mean, uh, being in uh, being on Long Island, being in New York, we get uh, the Islanders, Rangers, and Devils. So the New York players or the Devil players, I didn't really. I, I mean, I would watch the fights just to recap them. But you know, you watch all the games. I mean, this isn't today's NHL. Back then, I would watch all the games, and um, Langdon was just someone that really, to me, uh, he came he came on and really made an impression with me during his rookie year now kind of the opposite of of, say scott parker where scott parker just wants to punch a hole through your head langdon way more technical uh, you know much more you know not not comparing to parker but parker was more of an assassin where langdon would would pick you apart methodically so um so i was really impressed with him and and even going back to uh the preseason i remember they played jersey and, and he fought randy mckay a couple of times so um you know, proving that I'm not biased all the time, uh, you know, put Langdon in there and, and uh, someone I was always, always impressed with. And, you know, like you say, the Maritimers, that's a different breed up there. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, he was a good, he was a good representative for them for a while here uh, with the Rangers. So, you know, you just, uh, you know, you break it down the way we did it was, uh, you know, punch power, intelligence, reputation, quality of opposition, fighting ability. And, you know, I mean, uh, Langdon, was never known for his punching power um you know and at that point he was a rookie let's say he didn't have a a real reputation amongst the nhl guys let's say and uh fighting ability you know gave him an eight out of ten the quality opposition 8.5 because he's fighting everybody at that point so um you know i i think uh for a rookie i think 25 was uh, was a good spot for him and uh you know someone ranger fans still love Oh, absolutely. He was great. I was a huge Langdon fan. Well, or I am a huge Langdon fan. Um, actually, the year before this, in the pre, uh, was it a preseason? I don't know if it was a preseason. It might have been the end of the year. He had a great fight with McSorley, and he's wearing yeah. like, he's wearing like number fifty seven or something. Like so, yep. I I think it's preseason. I think that's preseason. Yeah, yeah. That that fight was awesome, and I remember. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, getting the tape, and it's like who? Like because again, who? You know, we'd never seen him, and it was just like. Man, and then I, I I got a Langdon tape from somebody, and it was a few years later. But yeah, the guy's technician, man, and and it's fun to go back and watch uh, now that I got more tapes and more footage and blah blah blah. But man, you go back and watch some of that American League stuff. Oh, yeah. he is unbelievable. He's at Binghamton, or it was just yep. like man. Oh, him and like Reed Simpson and like Ryan Vandenbush and those fights were like 
Man, Langdon was the shit, man. I was a he. I'd love. It's. I don't think it's out there, but I would love to see his Dayton stuff. That one year he played oh, yeah. Dayton, when he had like twenty goals in like four hundred minutes or something. I would love to see that stuff. But yeah, I was a uh, yeah huge Langdon fan. But uh, uh, the thing thing about Langdon that was uh, I always yeah I, I met him once. It was a short conversation. I wanted to ask him. I didn't get a chance. When uh, when the Islanders had drafted Lindros and he played, you know, the short time he was here, especially Lindros in the preseason, his first preseason. I don't know if it was, you know, and I think I think Brett was, uh, you know, I think he was a victim of the last name. And I think the Islanders rushed him. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, I think it was Langdon was him and Langdon had some battles and they eventually fought. But even bef- even without that fight, they whenever they were on the ice together. Um, it was just a battle. And I know in the first game they played, uh, Brett, Brett turned him down. Langdon wanted to fight. He turned him down. And then, um, you know, he even went in the papers and said that, uh, something like, you know, if, uh, no, it wasn't the papers. It was actually post game. He said, you know, I can't be taken off the ice, you know, for a guy like Langdon or whatever, you know, something like that, which I didn't really think was cool. But then, I mean, in a way, it probably was cool because then, you know, the Rangers see that, Langdon sees it, and I'm sure they're like, fuck it, he's going next game. And then next game, Langdon challenged him, or or Lindros actually went up to him. I don't remember, but they ended up fighting. And, um, you know, I think I think Langdon cut him a bit, but uh, but they would always go at it. That was sort of like, uh, you know, for the youngsters, they don't really understand this, but there's always the games within the games. And uh, whenever the Islanders would play the Rangers, Langdon almost made it a point where he wanted to be all over Lindros and and Lindros would give it right back to him. So those were some fun times. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Brett Lindros. uh, Yeah, definitely a victim of the last name. Actually, really good junior player. I mean, he had yeah. a great junior career, big dude, had the skills. Um, of course, then Milbury's got to go, I think we've got the better Lindros. Like, oh, no, God. that was Don Maloney. That oh, pardon Don, me. I don't want to. Listen, I want to attribute every bad thing to Mike Milbury. Trust me, I'm not defending Mike Milbury. He's, but he's done enough dumb shit on his own. That was actually Don Maloney. And I remember watching the draft, just putting, you know, face palming it going, oh, what are you doing to this guy? So yeah. yeah, did you? Yeah. Well, being around Long Island, did you have any run-ins with Lindros? With Lindros? Yeah, and, and I think the way um, I think the way it broke down, um, Bonnie was always around. I guess at the time when before Brett was in the league, I think uh, Carl and Bonnie, their parents, they were both in Philadelphia a lot. And then I think once Brett was here, uh, Carl ended up spending a lot of time here with Brett. So I actually would speak to both of them a lot. And Brett was really, really cool. And, and you know, I know back in the day, uh, you know, uh, Flyers fans and the Bob Clark probably weren't big fans of uh, Bonnie Lindros, but uh, Carl Lindros was awesome. Really, really fun guy to speak to. And Brett was really cool, really humble. So, uh, so yeah, the, I spoke to him plenty of times. Really, really good kid. And uh, and his dad was awesome too. His dad would talk about hockey or talk about fights and everything. So, uh, so yeah, I, I I was a big fan of Brett Lindros, and I feel bad the way his career worked out. But very, very cool kid. And uh, and his dad was awesome too. Well, it's funny, and like I've had players on, and we've talked, you know, off air or whatever. Well, on air a little bit, but off air as well about Lindros and like the parents and stuff. Yeah, and you'd always hear the stories back in the day, and Flyer fans like to go on and on. I, I'm, I'm sort of on Team Lindros and all this. I don't know. I think Clark is a bit of a 
fucking clown, actually. And I don't know. Not to say that Lindros didn't do a few things, but I think that's pretty overblown, I think, by the sounds of it. Uh, I mean, I think it, I think it's tough to say, especially if you don't have kids. You know, like yeah, like I, the the way that I would have. I mean, I was I'm not a Flyers fan, so I never really I would read what they would say, but I don't I don't fucking know. I don't know. You know, I, I don't really care. But the way you feel about a situation that involves parents and children changes from when you don't have kids to when you do have kids because everything changes. You know, now now the the whole it's like when when something comes up serious, let's say, and, and I'm just using this as an example, like uh, I know abortion is like a hot topic right now and people that are pro-life and then people say, well, what if it was your daughter? And, and like I always say, whenever you make it personal, you, you're talking about my daughter or my son or my sister or my mother. Well, the rules don't apply because now you're thinking of someone who you love. So. Yeah. Now you're talking about like, so this is Bonnie and Carl, like negotiating um, Eric's contract or whatever. He's their son, you know? So it's, it's like what, like, I, I think now when I think about it, I'm like, well, I have two sons and, you know, I, I would want to make sure that they got the most out of it. And, you know, I guess the thing is with the, with some of the GMs, just maybe especially back in the day, you could pull some fast ones or maybe your buddies with the agent, you cut a deal. I don't know. But they were looking out for their kids. So as a parent, I, I love my kids, and I would look out for my kids too. So I mean, like I said, I think it's I think when people were critical back then, the first thing I would ask now always is, well, do you have kids? And if they say no, then I go, okay, well, I got to take what you say with that because you don't have kids. You got to look out for them. You know, my, if my kids working at the the local deli around the block, I'm still going to look out for him. You know, forget about if he's working for a professional hockey team. So, no, exactly, exactly. Um, well, we probably, yeah, we might be here all night if we keep going with this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. but uh, well, this is me. I'm dragging it out here. But uh, 24, Mike Peluso, who had uh, who had 18 fights that year. For those wondering, he, uh, yeah, I mean, um, and again. I think it was, I saw him every night, saw all the games he played and everything. And, uh, you know, again, it's a respect thing was, uh, was never, I was neither a Mike Peluso hater or Mike Peluso fan, just someone that played for another team that I enjoyed watching fighting. And, you know, the, the amount of fights that he had and, and he fight anybody, obviously, um, you know, just a respect thing. Like even in the write up, I know I, uh, you know, brought up, uh, his balance and I think, Dave, of course, uh, made it a, sound a little worse than uh, than I put it, but um, you know, there, there's something to be said for you know his his contribution to New Jersey, and I think even at this point, it looked like Reed Simpson might take his place, and I think that's eventually what happened. But you know, again, it's like you know at this point in the in the rankings, you know, you got you know seven point five punching power, intelligence seven, reputation seven. It's always tough because then you got to like you got to kind of make the numbers almost fit and to say, well, what's his reputation? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, what is his reputation from the outside? It's not like I got to ask all the players, well, what's, what kind of reputation does Mike Peluso have? So again, it's all, it's all opinion, but, uh, but Peluso is a guy I always respected. And, uh, you know, I always try to do my best to try to get everyone represented in these things. And, you know, 
I, I, I had no problem with Mike, you know? Absolutely. No, I was actually, I'm a big Peluso fan. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, he looked like he was on roller skates sometimes. I mean, his, yeah. balance, his balance was terrible, but I mean, he'd throw the big lefts and, you know, he had the mullet flying and nah, I was down with Peluso. <laughs> Hell, he won me my goon draft one year, so I can't complain. The year he had 408 minutes in Ottawa, so Peluso's yeah. all right by me. He made me a few bucks, but, yeah, uh, yeah. He, uh, but yeah, and this, yeah, he had the, he had a great run that year when they won the cup that he was, yep. he was a big contributor with that him and McKay and Holik. And then that was a hell of a line, man. They were, uh, yeah, yeah no, I'm down with Peluso. Um, yep. well, here you go. Number 23, uh, the chief Scott Daniels This is kind of his first, uh, full-time, uh, season in the NHL. And, uh, another guy, Western league guy was dominant in the Western league back in the day in Seattle and stuff. And then, you know, bounced around the minors and then, uh, Came up in the NHL. See, I gotta say good shit about him because Joe Mama's listening. So, uh, <laughs> it's a Saskatoon boy. So, uh, yeah. uh, but, uh, no, I mean, he had, you know, fought Petoskey and Walker and Reve. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, he's on the list. It's cool. You know, get him in there. Get Scott Daniels some ink. Yeah, and that was the year, because uh, uh, when uh, when it came to print, he was he, we, there's a picture of him with Hartford coming off his year in Hartford, but he had actually uh, signed with Philly. And um, I was a big fan of um, the Daniels, Jansons, and Chase lines. So yep. I was, I'm sure you were too. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, there's always there was always a part of me that respected guys like Chief that, you know, had to pay their dues. And, um, you know, I couldn't put, him in the top 10 let's say i mean especially after just one rookie season i i don't think i could bump anybody from the top 10 but i think once you get to the second half of of the top 25 guys are interchangeable and it was always like i said uh just i liked watching you know to me that line made hartford watchable and they always made things happen and why not why not give the give the guy a little credit here and for the journey that he took and um, you know get him in there and then next thing you know he's in Philly and I'll, I'll pump my own tires here where I, I wrote we'll probably play on a line with Dan Lacroix and Dan Cordick so look at me I'm a genius there you, you know go what I'm saying it was like yeah so I'm I'm an absolute genius I mean everybody knew that was going to happen but uh, but yeah no I, I I always like Chief and uh, I'm happy to have him in there. Absolutely. Well, here we go. 22. Mick the Quick. There we go. We got Mick Fakota. It was his, set of, I think it was his last year in New York and, uh, he played 33 games that year and had 16 tilts and, you know, with Domi and, uh, you know, and, and, and that type of thing. Five preseason tilts. So, um, yeah, that was sort of the end of an era. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not about to pump my show on your show, but no, feel um, free. That's why you're on. Yeah, no, I mean the the interview I did with Mick. I mean that was the first really super long interview that I did with him, and uh, this this period of his career was was not the easiest because this is around the time that Milbury took over, and uh, you know it's I, I appreciate what he was doing at the time because he was basically fighting an uphill battle there was you know Milbury it seemed like was trying to just get everybody in here to take his place um you know I I mean one of the good things I think Mike Milbury did was uh give Steve Webb a chance you know uh kid that played a few games in the IHL the year before but mostly colonial league kid and he worked his ass off made the team and had a nice career for himself uh you know you get Ken Belanger in here too but it was always it always seemed like no matter what Mick did once Milbury took over it was never enough and um you know and and 
going back to what I was saying earlier, like as far as bias stuff goes, Mick was always the one guy that I was like, well, people are going to say I like him too much. So I always was, he was the one guy I was always cognizant of. I don't want to put him too high, but I always thought he warranted a spot. So, um, and this, like you say, he had almost, uh, he fought every other game that year. So, um, you know, I'm, if I keep talking about Mick, we're going to be here, like you say, all night. So I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, you know, he's uh, he's one of my favorite players of all time. He's a great, great person. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to call him a friend. And, um, you know, if uh, if 51 year old uh, me is doing this, doing this magazine, he's going to be a lot higher because I just don't give a shit anymore. So there you go. Well, for those listening, <laughs> if you haven't check out Joe's interview with Mick Fakota, it's one of the. Uh, Honestly, it's one of the best player interviews you're ever going to hear because it's like in depth and Fakota tells some great stories and yeah, it's awesome. Definitely check it out because the guy had a hell of a career, right? Like whatever, love him or hate him. The guy had stories and he fought everybody and did it for a real long time. And, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. But, uh, but there we go. Number, uh, well, Hey, 21, we were talking about him earlier. Of course, uh, Mayday, Brad May. Um, this was sort of a kind of a real big breakout year for him. He had 79 games. Of course, he had the 15 goals and the 17 tilts. And, uh, you know, he had the, you know, the TKO of Basil and, and, and Warren Reichel. And then he had the, the big knockdown on Hockey Night in Canada of Camp Baumgartner. Yeah. That was huge because we had never seen that before. Uh, and of course, he kind of, yeah, he, you know, it was pretty hit him when he was down. And I mean, that was kind of, yeah, you know, whatever. But I mean, yeah, I don't want to start yelling about the code because I think that's all horse shit anyway. But, but I was actually surprised. It surprised me when he did it actually because Bomber is kind of it's it's kind of a weird knockout. But it was like, but we were just really surprised that that Bomber got clipped like that because he never really saw that. Yeah. Not that I can actually. I'm trying to think. I don't actually remember him going down like that before. And then to do it on Hockey Night in Canada, it was like holy shit. But I was a huge fan of Brad May even before this, so. I was torn over the bomber fight because I was like, "Oh shit," you know, because I, I, I like I was a huge fan of both guys, so I was kind of because you knew they were gonna fight, but it was just like, yeah. "Let's just have a draw." That's all I really wanted, right? <laughs> yeah. But then all of a sudden, bomber goes down. I was like, "Oh shit!" And then he hit him again. It was like, "Oh man!" But uh, yeah, mayday. Yeah, bomber didn't go down even when um, when he got his orbital bone broken yeah. uh, from Dave Brown. He, he, I don't think he went down. No. And, uh, sitting in the penalty box. I remember I could see it right now in the penalty box, feeling uh, you know, feeling his uh, cheekbone and everything. I don't think he went down. So, I mean, that that was uh, that was huge for Brad. I mean, listen, I uh, we've already talked about it, and uh, you know, if I had to do it all over again, like uh, Brad May told me, Rob Rob should be in this magazine and not me. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I think there were some people that thought I overrated Brad. Um, and maybe that was more because he was uh, a guy that could score, you know, 15, 20 goals a year. And he wasn't just a guy to go out there and fight, but uh, he was always someone that impressed me and, um, you yep. know, never, you know, for a guy that was the number one pick and a guy, you know, as a rookie starting out playing with LaFontaine and Mogilny, like getting thrown into that score, the biggest goal or one of the biggest goals in the, in team history, he was always someone that never really had an ego about him. So he would fight anybody. He was never too good to fight anybody. And he ended up fighting a lot of the guys that he would call machines. And I, and I guess I it just endeared himself to me. And uh, I always thought he was the tougher guy for a, a period of time with Buffalo and, but like he said, he goes, he was able to do what he did because of, of Rob Ray. So, um, you know, maybe uh, 
maybe if I had to redo it all over again, maybe I would switch him, but maybe not. But uh, you know, well, I'm always gonna I'm always gonna pump Brad's tires. That's for sure. Oh, I've, the year he had this year with the one that we're talking about, I would have had him in here for sure. I mean, I would have had Ray in here too, but I mean, yeah. no, May man, he had a big year, and like I said, that's a big. There was some big knockdowns, and he had some great tilts, and uh, dude, had thunder in his hands for sure. Uh, well, speaking of thunder in his hands, the next guy, um, and criminally underrated to this day by a lot of people, uh, but of course is Paul Laws, who, uh, you know, had 78 games, 31 tilts. I think, I think Domi was first and he was second, I believe that year. And I think the following year he had 44 tilts or something, but yeah, had the big fight, big knock with Walker and with, uh, Randy McKay and Kaminsky and Rudy. He had some really great fights. Fought your boy Mike McWilliam. That was a good fight this year. And uh, yeah, man, I fought the Laws, and the Laws won. That guy's a bad dude. I, I always wonder what what uh, how he would be remembered if he played in a hockey market. Well, imagine know, if he played. Even... Imagine if Paul Laws played in Philly. Oh, I mean Philly, you know Toronto. Like Philly, because, you know, they would love a guy like that. Toronto, because he would just get so noticed there. But, um, I mean, listen, at this point, at this point in, in his career, I don't even know. Like, I don't, I definitely, we didn't see the best of him yet. It was still, we're waiting to see it. And then you start seeing it. I mean, for me personally, seeing him, you know, his rivalry with uh, with Brett Lindros um, and, and later on, Ken Belanger. And you just see how hard this guy throws. And he's just, there's, to me, he was like the perfect guy for, for a non-market like Florida because there was no frills about him. You know, eventually, you know, he's a guy, again, through his fighting, he was able to, to get more ice time. And he, he developed into a steady defenseman. And um, but then he's still kicking guys' ass. And it was just simple. Well, drop the gloves and you're going to hit me and I'm going to hit you. I might throw harder than you, so you better get me quick because if you don't, I'm going to do some damage. And like you said, I say the same thing about Paul Laws, like criminally underrated because every year he was getting better and getting better. And I kind of look at Paul Laws as obviously in terms of the the fans down there, how they should look at him. I kind of look at Paul Laws as like Ken Danico or like a Bobby Nystrom here on the island where obviously Paul didn't win any cups like those other guys did, but the Ken Danico was, was not the best defenseman the Devils ever had, although I love him, and you know how I feel about Bobby Nystrom. But Paul Laws, I mean, he's he's the Florida guy. Like he was there once they got him from Pittsburgh. That was it. He was he was Mister Florida Panther. Battled everybody, and he put a lot of guys down. So I'm happy to have him in here. It probably this was the highest he was ever, or lowest, however you say it. I'm sure. It, it, issues after this i would imagine he had to be ranked higher but i felt this was a good spot for him at this point for sure um now i lost my place oh number 19 uh dmac darren mccarty 63 games 15 goals 19 tilts uh you know again starting to come into his own um you know walker had a good fight with richardson and marchment um you know the ko tenority um it was sort of becoming you know, the Probert and Coaster era was gone, and DMAC was kind of coming in, and, uh, yeah, I mean, well, you had Stu there, too, that year, but uh, what, what were your feelings on old uh, Darren McCarty? Yeah, I think, uh, I think like you say, you start out with Probert, then he's riding shotgun with Stu, and I think the thing I really liked about him was I, I'd spoken to him, I would speak to him every time he'd come here, and he just really, 
he had that enthusiasm for the job. He reminded me a lot of Brad May in a way where he had, he was no matter how old they got, they were still like a kid. You know, they still they never lost their zeal. They, they and he always had that enthusiasm for it. He'd always be willing to talk about fighting and everything like that. And uh, you know, um, I I'm a Darren McCarty fan. And I know he's one of the guys I think people gave me shit for for putting in here instead of other guys. And again, we always go back to Rob Ray. But, um, you know, I, I think at that point he was he was still very young and, and uh, he just brought something. You know, it was the Red Wings were exciting to watch because, you know, guys were still hesitant. I think at that point still to go with Stu Grimson, but they might want to go with Darren McCarty and and. He, you know, he had the uh, the lefty stance there, and he loved doing it. And so I, I, I'm a Darren McCarty fan. I can't say enough about the guy. Oh, for sure, no big McCarty fan. Well, number eighteen, I'm another fan of this guy, old Rudy Poshek. And uh, man, Rudy, fifty-seven games, thirteen tilts. I can guarantee you, folks, all thir- none of the thirteen were boring. It's just <laughs> wide open and toe to toe, and you hit me, I'll hit you, and. Some great fights with Laws and Stoyanov and Jay Wells and Marty and I. Oh, if if people want to see one of the best hockey fights ever, this is completely not in the NHL, but it was a junior fight. Him and Jim Latos, L A T O S. It's on YouTube. It just it just surfaced. Type Poshek and Latos in and go watch that fight. It's ridiculous, and uh, they're wearing the Cooperalls. It's in Kamloops. It's tremendous. But uh, yeah, Rudy Poshek. I I love me some Rudy Poshek. The the Poshek Laddish fight. I had heard about that when I first met Dean Ewan because he was in the league, and he said that fight. The just the word of that fight just traveled through the league like just like wildfire. And for years, it was the white whale for for fight fans like us. Like, oh my god, are we ever going to see it? Are we ever going to see it? And like you say, we finally saw it. But Rudy's a guy I I always really liked. I, I just just from his look, like especially back in the day with the Rangers, he looked like a boxer. He had the old knuckle buster helmet on and everything. And I I just I don't really care for a lot of Rangers, but Rudy was a guy I was always a big fan of. And then when he goes to Tampa and uh, he gets a chance to be a regular and he just like to me, he's still if I had to do a top 10 Tampa list, he's probably still my number one guy. And really, it's funny because when you meet him, he's just a soft spoken guy, really big time chef at the time. He would always cook for the guys. He was uh, a culinary wizard as well. So yep. uh, but Rudy, to me, the league Guys like Rudy Poshek, where it's just grab on and chuck them. I mean, I miss those guys. And, you know, you think about when he eventually went to St. Louis and they had him and Twist and Chase. It's like, you know, like Twist and Rudy alone would be like a fearsome tag team. Then you throw Kelly Jason there. I mean, I, I love I love Rudy Poshek. I just do. And I probably wanted to put him higher this year because I'm I am very biased. I am a big Rudy Poshek fan. So oh. I, I don't know. Maybe I had to put him low on this one because I didn't want to get grief but I, I fucking love rudy so absolutely uh rudy wow that's funny as looks yeah old rudy yeah he wasn't uh rudy looks like he ran a hundred yard dash in a 90 yard gym you know it's uh absolutely. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah he kind of looks like a catcher's mitt but that's all right yeah old rudy yeah. um actually i think in this magazine there's like a 
There's like a color picture of him, and he looks like a fucking serial killer. There's like blood yeah. on his jersey and shit, and it's like, oh, it's like the greatest picture ever. Um, well, number seven. Oh, there we go. Speaking of Kelly Chase, there we go, Saskatchewan boy. I believe this was his year in Hartford, and uh, he played 55 games, had 23 tilts. Um, an awesome fight with Alex Doinoff. Um, oddly enough, we never thought I would see it, but he fought Twist that year, which was kind of weird to see. Um, had a great fight with Chris Murray. Um, yeah, Chaser. I don't, I mean, I don't, what more is there to say? You don't really need to sell anybody on Kelly Chase. The listeners know who we're talking about. Well, it's funny because I'll say this. So you had two thirds of that line, the line that I talked about with Scott Daniels, with him and Chief Daniels and Jansons. And over the years, I got to, I got to know Mark Jansons very well. So the ironic thing about it is the, the, I love all three guys, but if I had to say one guy over the other two, it would be Mark Jansen's, and he's the guy that I didn't put in this issue. But Jansen's is is as tough as anybody, yep. and I don't think people realize it, but he is, and he could very well be in this issue. But, I mean, Kelly Chase, I mean, I, I loved Kelly Chase as a player, but I think, I think since he's retired – I love him a lot more because he's someone that he kind of stays in the fray. Whenever there's some anti-fighting stuff that goes on, he kind of jumps in, you know, with all these uh, know-it-alls up in Toronto. He doesn't mind getting on social media and saying it. And then, of course, um, in the Ice Guardians, like that final scene, like, I don't know, like he just he's just someone that to me is everything that's right about how the game used to be. And, you know, talking about like your guys, you know, in Saskatoon when it was him and Twister and Killer and Sharky with the blades. Like, I mean, this is just classic, classic stuff. So, like I say, even just talking about this year, Kelly Chase is just he's on this list because he's probably maybe the smallest guy on the list. Probably him. I always said him and Bomber. And and at this point, Darren Langdon, probably three of the best technical guys. And, you know, just fuck, you know, it's Kelly Chase. You know, he should be in this list. So. Absolutely. Well, another, there you go, another Blade, another Sass boy. At number 16, of course, Jolton Joe Koser. Uh, split time this year at the Rangers. And, of course, them, the ill-fated weird seven games with the Canucks, which yeah. was, like, really weird to see. But, um yeah, it was sort of obviously kind of getting the end of the line. I mean, he fought Prover again, had a interesting fight with a young Brashear and Chris Murray and Lindros and Brett Lindros. And yeah, again, I mean, uh, like I said, it was really weird to see him in Vancouver. But uh, again, what, what is there to say about Coaster, right? I mean, I think as long as he's in the league, he's got to be on the list, right? Yeah, I mean, and... You know, as I as I think back on it, and and as I'm you know looking at you know the write up and everything, I mean, this is probably someone that could have been lower on the list, like maybe in the twenties, let's say, because at this point, like you say, it's towards the end of the line. Maybe this was sort of an homage or like a respect for the career thing, um, you know, because no matter what age he was, if he hits you with that hand, you're going good night. So uh, that was probably what this was. Like I said, maybe 16 was a little too high at this point in his career, but he's got to be in here somewhere. You know, it's uh, you can't, you really can't tell the story about hockey fights in the league without mentioning Joe Koser. So, you know, he had to be in here, but maybe I had him a little too high. Yeah. 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 It's, it's Joe, but uh well, the next guy, another guy that I think is underrated by a lot of people uh, at 15 was Reed Simpson. And again, um, man, 
Uh, he is underrated, and it's I. There is another guy I love watching them old Albany tapes, and it's like the dude's like all over them. That and the one year in Hershey had like forty fights or something. He's all over that DVD too, and unbelievable. Fought everybody in this. He played twenty three games at twenty one fights. Um, but I'm I'm a huge fan of Reed Simpson. There are certain players that no matter whenever you go up a level, and I'm, you know and you know this, but. You have to make the most of the opportunity. I remember, um, dur- especially during the lockout year, we, uh, Andrea and myself and a couple of friends, we'd go to Albany a lot. So I got to see a lot of his Albany stuff. And uh, their GM at the time was uh, John Weisbrot. And they had called up a player from the East Coast League. And he played a handful of games. And I said, oh, what happened with this guy? And he goes, he was here a few games. He didn't do anything. He goes, I don't know what he thought I called him up here for. And uh, I always I always remember that. And with Reed Simpson, it's the exact opposite. No matter where he was, he always made the most of his opportunities. And I think, I mean, you never know how, how much st- something like this helps. But I think with, during the lockout with a lot of these American League games that were, ended up being on TV, I think it exposed a lot of these guys to a, a larger audience. So obviously the Devils know what he can do. But now – other teams see what he can do and you never know if a team might have been interested in him and Lula Murillo didn't want to lose him so you give him more of an opportunity with the big club but you know Reed Simpson again no matter where it was you know you come up from junior into Hershey and then you, you end up with the Devils organization Albany fighting everybody and I think there was a time where he was putting up decent amount of points too um, I always thought he could be the next Randy McKay with the Devils, but then obviously he, he went to different teams. But uh, that's who I thought. He, he reminded me a lot of Randy McKay being in the same organization where you had guys that he would fight anybody and they could put up points too. But, I mean, every time we would make the three-hour trip to Albany, uh, guys like Reed Simpson and Cal Hulse, uh, you know, uh, Skurlak, and forget about who was on the other team because they always had a few guys. Uh, they always made the trip worth it. So uh, I'm always grateful f- uh, to Reed Simpson for that. No, absolutely. Um, well, 14. Oh, you got an Islander. And this guy's sort of the replacement for Fakoda, right? It was Brent Severn. Played 65 games, 12 tilts. Um, well, I'll let you talk about Brent Severn. You would know better than anybody. Well, he wasn't. He was one of the guys that wasn't a replacement for Fakoda because he played defense That's so true. he yeah, was yeah. he was kind of brought in um not really to replace anybody because they actually when he was here they had him and they had richie Pilon, they had dean chanel so they had a they had some pretty tough players on defense um but when he came here i mean he made an immediate impression i don't remember which game it was but he fought chris simon twice in quebec did very well in those fights and um fought everybody here but he's another guy um i don't know mike milbury just uh i mean when when brent got traded to colorado i think he said it was one of the best days of his life and um you know that was the year he was actually the replacement for chris simon and um so that was the upcoming year for this uh just a ton of respect for the guy you know old western leaguer uh really should have probably made the NHL a lot earlier, but he was with the Devils organization, and uh, they had a pretty good defense back then. So it was it was a tough tough top six to crack. If he was with any other team, with the the way he was playing in the American League when he was with Utica, he definitely would have been on an NHL roster. He just happened to be with maybe the best defensive team with the a pretty good top six. But again, it's just uh, 
a respect thing for him and willing to do whatever it is for the team. And, um, you know, I got, I got all kinds of time for, for Brent Severin, never backed down from anybody. And, um, you know, again, I was probably accused of putting him high on this. I would think back in the day, but, uh, but that's okay. You know, and, and, and I just want to say, like, I feel like I'm doing more of an overview of these guys than rather speaking specifically about that season. But the fact is, this is 25 years ago. I don't remember I don't remember specifics really. I'm just going by what's here in the write up. But uh but you know, I'm sure back in the day it was, Oh yeah, you put Brent Severn F fourteen, oh well whatever. So No, exactly. I mean yeah, I mean you can't I mean there's a few incidents here with each guy or some guys, you know, that you remember, but you know, overall it's like, you know, yeah, come on listeners, give us a break here. It's twenty five years. <laughs> so Yeah. But um well, 13, uh, Chainsaw, Shane Churla. I was a massive Churla fan, but this was actually a year before he was, he had the big face injury and, and he was done. But, uh, yeah, he kind of Dallas, LA and New York this year. He kind of played on three teams and, but 18 tilts and, you know, Peluso a bunch of times and Darren McCarty. And, but overall, yeah, I'm a big Shane Churla fan. I mean, it's a, it's a shame the way his career ended, but yeah, I mean, you talk about a guy wide open. He's fun to watch. I mean, with uh, with Shane Churla, like, you know, we talk about the face stuff, like it, the way Grimson just, I mean, Grimson did that to a lot of guys. Yeah. But uh, with with Churla, I don't think Churla would ever be a guy that would be top five or top, maybe top ten, but but he would definitely be top five in entertaining because he was, it was the Rock'em Sock'em Robot thing. Yeah. So he could knock guys out, but he could also get knocked out. So um, I, I, when I when I got this magazine before, I was actually surprised I put him as high as I did. But uh, I don't have my notes from back then. But again, I mean, I have no issue with uh, with Shane Churler being this high. I mean, I immediately whenever I think of him, I immediately go to the the Kevin McGuire fight back when he was with Hartford. So, uh, but yeah, you know, again, again, maybe I'm not biased all the times because uh, he was a Ranger at this point. So I got uh, a couple of Rangers in my uh, my top twenty five. So. Nothing. Hey, it's all good with Shane Churla. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number twelve, of course. Uh, Gino Ojic, fifty-five games. He had nine tilts. Actually, this probably wasn't a real strong year for Gino. Um, but you know, he fought Bon uh, Bonvi and Peluso and Potomsky, and I was surprised actually going back and looking that he obviously he must have been injured, or you know, fifty-five games or whatever with the nine tilts. That's yeah. a pretty low number for Gino, but. Guy was a hero in Vancouver. To be completely honest, he's one of those guys like we were talking about at the start. I never liked Gino when he was playing. I was never a fan of Ojic. Um, again, as I'm older, I appreciate him now. But at the time, like in 95, 96, I did not like Gino Ojic. But um, yeah, he's a hero in Vancouver, though. And he did the role for a while. He, like, he, he did it to a T in Vancouver. I mean, nobody fucked with Burray, so that was the point. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, like you, you remember uh, when when the games were here, uh, when we had Sports Channel, and their Sports Channel was a regional network, so they would put on, um, you know, Sports Channel Chicago games or Sports Channel LA. So I remember the the first game he played when he played against Chicago, and had uh, you know number sixty six out there skating yeah. around fighting uh, Manson and Grimson, and I'm like, who is this fucking guy, right? And then. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks later, he's he's here on Long Island. I think it was his eighth game or something like that, and he's playing here. And I I got a chance to meet him. Really, really, really quiet. 
and uh, I, you know, I don't know. And then I obviously over the years I would see him a little bit, but uh, you know, quiet guy. I know a lot of people are, are wishy washy on him. I don't think he's uh, Tony Twist's favorite uh, opponent. Uh, I know Tony's been sort of vocal about uh, his feelings about Gino, but uh, no, I mean, like you say, maybe not the best year for him. But I mean, he's uh, he. I, I think he just went into the. British Columbia Sports Hall of Fame or something like that. I think I just saw on, on Twitter. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, he, you know, Gino never – I mean, listen, he always made the games exciting. And uh, I always say I'm happy that uh, when I look at the back of his hockey card, it says uh, New York Islanders that he was here for a spell. So, uh, and again, it, at that point, uh, past his prime maybe. And I know for uh, for a spell here, he had uh, an abdominal injury. And to play the game – with an abdominal injury is not easy. And if you're going to start fighting and, you know, grabbing on and twisting and turning and, you know, throwing punches with bad abdominal injury is not the easiest thing to do, but he was fun. I mean, it was, uh, it was very interesting the day he was traded for uh, Jason Strudwick. And then the next night they fought each other. That was, uh, that was always interesting because they played, uh, Islanders played Vancouver the next night. So they're traded one day and the next day they're fighting each other. So that was uh, a nice little piece of history. No, absolutely. Um, well, it's interesting here. Number 11, uh, Ty Domi, 35, 32 fights this year. And, um, of course, he this you know he fought Probert a few times and, uh, uh, you know, had some great fights with Simon and Bonvi. Um, of course, this is the season he uh, famously dropped Alf Samuelson for, for one brief moment. He was a hero of Joe Lazito's. Um <laughs> Uh, the best line ever when they were asking the player, they asked Bernie Nichols what Ty should get, and he said a raise. You know, <laughs> so, so uh, I don't think anybody in the hockey world was sad to see Alf get dropped. Um, interesting, as I was doing the research for this, and I had never seen this until today. Um, Brashear, in when Brashear was like a uh, coming up in Montreal, he actually dropped Domi this year. Buckles him with an uppercut. Check it out, folks. It's, folks, it's on YouTube. It's a little grainy, but it's there. I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen Domi get buckled like that. But, um, yeah, Ty Domi, number 11. Well, I, I think he might be number 11 because of the Samuelson knockout. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Ty, Ty is, uh, regardless of the, the goofy topics that seem to be popping up recently on the uh, – hockey fight boards on, on Facebook oh, about yeah. Ty's credentials. Uh, even as someone like myself, who's not a fan, I had to laugh at some of these people. I mean, you got to give the devil his due. Uh, I've just, I was never a fan of Ty's, um, but I, I got to give the guy credit for, for the career that he had. Uh, I, I probably could do with a lot of the, uh, the self promoting that he did that, that sort of bugged me a little bit. Um, I'm sure it didn't help that he came up. I mean, he came up with Toronto, but he really came up with the Rangers. So I'm sure that didn't help either. Um, but, uh, that Ulf Samuelson moment is one of my favorite moments of all time. And, uh, Ulf deserved it. And, uh, Ty was a hero for a little bit in, in my household, but, uh, you know, I mean, what Ty, what now we're getting into the, the elite category we're getting into the top 10 uh you know and Ty, Ty Domi belongs on the countdown in, in the top 25 for almost every year that he played so uh maybe I could have put him higher but uh you know I don't know I don't know my mindset maybe back in the day I said ah, oh, you know he deserves top 10 but let me put him at 11 I don't know that could have been something I did too I don't know 
Well, yeah, and that, I'll tell you, it took me a long time to warm up to Domi. I hated him with the Rangers. I remember watching these tapes. I'm like, why are you celebrating? You lost. Yeah. Like, he's losing these fights and he's doing the belt and all that shit. Looking back on it now, it's fucking hilarious. But, I mean, at the time, I was like, who is this little midget? You know, but, uh, and then he got to Winnipeg and I warm, I started to warm on him a little bit. But then when I saw him in Toronto, I'm like, ah, this guy's all right. And then when he did that to Ulf, that was like, all right, I like this guy now. You know, but, um, but yeah, did it, hey, like you said, at the end of the day, dude did it forever, fought everybody. His fight card is second to none. Well, he's the all-time leader in fights. I mean, played for a long time, uh, was a better player than I think people give him, you know, that he should get more credit for. And, uh, hey, at the end of the day with the Leafs and with, hey, with Winnipeg and Toronto and when he learned the role and what to do and whatever, nobody messed with Solani and Sandin all those years. And, you know, they got a lot of room and Domi did his job and knew what to do. And, yeah, I mean, uh, say what you want about him. But, yeah, like, and what Joe was talking about, somebody in the enforcer group put up that Ty Domi lost 95% of his career fights. It's like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, stop. You know, I, I okay, I get you don't like Domi, but I, I think Ty won more than 5% of his fights. I mean, come on. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and the one thing I, I do that I do – Obviously, the Samson thing is my favorite thing, but um, the one thing that I, I always enjoy was for fans that are old enough to remember when Winnipeg wanted to go full Euro and they had like their European invasion and they really didn't have a lot of toughness to protect those guys and they were just getting lit up every night. You know, opposing players were taking runs at all these European players, and then uh, I think it was Mike Smith was the GM, yeah, and he he wanted to go full Euro, and then at some point. I guess he decided I got to get some toughness and then he ended up getting Domi and Chris King. So I, I kind of like that he had to eat crow wanting to go full Euro and then he had to get a couple of uh, good Canadian boys to kind of settle things down. So well, and then they... I'm, I'm not a Ty Domi fan, but I do like that he had to do that. Well, on that, they went on, they're like, what was it, an 18-game winning streak or something when they got them? They went on some massive winning streak and it was just like, yeah, exactly. It was like, yeah, no, him and King were awesome in Winnipeg. That was, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Winnipeg, his one year in Winnipeg, well, and then they went to Phoenix, I guess, but mm-hmm. the one year with the Jets at number 10, Jim McKenzie. He had uh, 73 games at 18 tilts and, you know, had some great fight. Well, he always had great fights with Sandy and McCarthy and, you know, Baruby and Brashear and big Jim, man. Uh, you know, I always say that I think the NHL is probably lucky he was nice because <laughs> he could have body bagged a few guys, I think, if he wanted to, but, uh, He's a big, tough dude. And, uh, again, another former guest on the Coliseum Chronicles. Yeah, I'll never forget this. There was a time I was working uh, a part-time job delivering uh, auto parts. And one day my wife came up to meet me, and then we were driving home, so we had two cars. And all of a sudden I pull over, and she's like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I go, the Islanders signed Jim McKenzie. And she's like, what? I'm like, I had to stop and tell you, the Islanders just fucking signed Jim McKenzie. I was so fucking happy, right? I'm like, holy shit. So now it's going to be like McKenzie and Vakoda, uh, Severin. Like they, I'm like, this is amazing, right? And, you know, like you come to find out. And I had known Jim from when he was at Hartford and find out it was really down to two teams that wanted him. And it was the Islanders in Chicago, and he picked the Islanders. And, of course, as people know, never played a regular season game for the Islanders because went to camp that year. And I think camp was in Ontario. I know we got into at least one game, maybe a couple of games. And, uh, 
well, preseason's over. Now you got to submit your uh, your protected players for the waiver draft. Jim McKenzie's left unprotected by the Islanders, and he's the first pick in the waiver draft by Winnipeg. Absolute. I'm working at Bruce Bennett Studios at the time, and we get the facts from the NHL with all the players that was claimed. First pick, right on top, Jim McKenzie, Winnipeg. So I was not, I was not happy. But again, a guy that Mike Milbury, you know, I can go on, on, on and on all day. But uh, Jim was a, a short time unofficial member of the Islanders. And, uh, you know, I mean, like you say, what do you, what do you say about Jim McKenzie? He's an absolute killer and really, really a, a super individual. He's another guy I could go on and on about. I love him so much. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, he, he put the hammer down on a lot of guys. He did. Well, and another guy, number nine, the Chief, Craig Berube, out in Washington, played 50 games at 13 tilts. Actually kind of a slow year for the Chief that year, to be honest. But, uh yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, another guy fought everybody. I think he's actually, I think he's second in career fights behind Domi. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, another guy played forever. Um, you know, always, you know, throwing rights. You, you weren't going to get a left from him. It was all rights, and it was quick, rapid fire. And, yeah, I mean, I love Craig Bruby. He's awesome. And to see the success he's had as a coach is tremendous. Oh, yeah, I mean... Again, the guys we're talking about now in the top ten, they're all going to be like the same same kind of thing. They all deserve it, and yeah, they're yeah. all legends in their own in their own right. I mean, at this point, Baruby, I think he kind of had a career resurgence uh, with Washington, and then at a certain point, you know, he's playing on line with with Kevin Kaminsky, and uh, then on on defense, you got Brendan Witt and Mark Tenorti, and then at a certain point, then you had Chris Simon to that. Uh, I mean, it had to be like they had a like in the locker room before some games go and all right boys what do we want to do <laughs> who do we want to kill tonight you know but i mean he's a legend and uh yeah th- when uh when he took over for the blues and um they kind of got off to that slow start and then won the cup uh, i think i think uh in a certain way like ruby won that cup for like people it was like a thing for us you know like because you know as soon as he took over as coach all those morons that write articles in up in Toronto and all the bloggers and the insiders, quote unquote insiders. Well, of course, you know, Baruby is a, he's a goon. He doesn't know anything about hockey. Why would you hire Craig Baruby? Meanwhile, they neglect to see the road that he's taken to get to that point. And uh, the players bought in and they won a cup. So it's kind of like, you know, good for him and good for us because, you know, it's like, here's a guy. Well, you just think he's a one dimensional goon and here he is played more NHL games than any, and any of these critics ever played. And now he's got a Stanley cup champion as championship as a coach. So all the people that shit on him can kiss his ass now. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it was, no, it was awesome. And like you said, with this list and the, once you get in the top 10, it's like, you know, cause again, the next name here, number eight, Marty McSorley. I mean, you know, this was the year, you know, played in LA and then he, like I said, again, he, Kind of like the coaster thing. He had those weird nine games with the Rangers that was kind of odd. But um, that 18 tilt, he had a really, really good fight with Sandy McCarthy early on. Um, fought, you know, ran into old Wendell again out in the island. They fought a couple times. And, um, you know, uh, actually a good fight with Eric Lindros, BL. I mean, it's Marty, man. What can you say? I love Marty. He's great. Yeah, I mean, at this point, with some of these, you know, like similar, I mean, he came in that trade with Churla, you know, with the Rangers, he was uh, in that trade from LA. Um, definitely 
uh, what a, to use a golf analogy, I think I'm using it right, on the back nine <laughs> of his career. But, you know, like, say, almost 20 guys, you know, 20 fights, fighting guys, you know, legit guys, you know, renewing the rivalry with Wendell from their famous playoff fight and, you know, taking on big boys, Sandy McCarthy, Berube, Rudy, you know, all these guys. Um Again, maybe more of an homage, but at this point he still had something left in the tank, and uh, this is when he started um, with San Jose, even though uh, you know that season before was with L.A. and the Rangers. But uh, you know, again, it, with some of these guys, I'm giving them their due for what they had done at that point, even if maybe, oh, maybe Marty wasn't the eighth best fighter that year, but he's definitely to me, if he's not top ten, he's got to be around the top ten. Yep. No, I completely agree. Uh, well, you know, like you said, with all of them like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the next was Stu Grimson. Of course, he's in Detroit that year, 56 games, 21 tilts. Um, pretty good year. I mean, again, fought Sandy, had the big uh, TKO win, of, actually, in McKenzie. Um, you know, had the, had a really solid fight with Probert that year. I don't know. To me, it was always kind of weird to see Stu in Detroit. It was kind of – I never got used to the Grimson in the Detroit uniform. But, uh, but yeah, Stu, this is kind of really – once Stu left Chicago, I think, you know, he's getting into his prime. He's starting to find his legs, and, you know, he became a real force over the next few years. Well, it's funny because I, when he was with Chicago, I I thought he was sort of like a maniac, you know, like a crazy person. Didn't think he was a great fighter at that point. He was still young. He was still raw. Still, you know, could do some damage, but I don't think he – you know, I thought they had a nice combo, him, Peluso, Manson. I don't think any of them were savages at that point, let's say. And then, like you said, he leaves Chicago. And all of a sudden, you know, Anaheim and Hartford and Detroit. And he is just this absolute assassin. Like, his his time with Hartford, oh, my God. Like, he's just, like, killing guys. And even with Detroit... I think it was was Rodgers, one maybe one of the fights he had with Rodgers, maybe in the playoffs, where it's just like it, the Stu Grimson that left Chicago. And I know Hawks fans, some of them are very passionate, and maybe they see it differently. But uh, I think Stu was a very tough player with Chicago, and I think after he left Chicago, he was he was, I mean that, and then some where he just became this scary, scary individual that could really just you know put the lights out with one shot and I mean you know again same thing keep saying I love Stu Grimson I love the guy but his uh his stuff post Chicago like his Chicago stuff is fun to watch like seeing him lose his shit against the Leafs and everything like I think his Chicago stuff is fun because and even in his book he wrote about some of the stuff that he uh you know the the stuff he went through growing up where he was sort of like a little bit on the wild side and maybe you saw a little bit of that in his Chicago days and then maybe once he left Chicago with, with Anaheim and then like I said going forward he kind of matured a little bit and just an absolute berserker out there just just destroying guys yeah so we got Stu and then uh I'm sorry, folks. I'm I'm in and out. I'm hitting pause. I'm chasing my lasagna down here. But uh, number six, Todd Ewan. Um, actually, and I was surprised. I didn't realize it at the time. But it's like he played 53 games that year. Um, 29 tilts. That was that. I think that was a, you know, that was a, a very busy year for Todd. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, of course, you with the Ewans, of course, uh, being really good friends with Dean. 
Obviously, I would assume you've hung out with Todd as well, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, with his passing and everything. But uh, this was a this was a big year for the animal. Um, you know, we talk about guys who are underrated. And obviously, I think everyone can agree guys like Paul Laws are underrated. Um, I think Todd Ewan, uh, guys like Todd Ewan, I think guys like Darren Kimball, when you look at their resume, for, even for everything that they've done, I still think they're underrated. I think, uh, yeah. you know, Todd obviously made a big splash, you know, with uh, the, with the Prober fights in this uh, second game, I think that was. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know why he seems to be underrated, but... Um, I was, I was a Todd Ewan fan before I, I got to know Dean and, um, you know, and before I got to ever meet Todd. So I was, I was a fan of Todd's and, um, I, I just, I look at his body of work and, you know, for whatever people, you know, people may say, well, I had him ranked too high here, but like you said, 29 fights. Um, and I, I always felt like he never got, and he never got his due. Like even in Anaheim when it was him and grims in there like talk about twin towers you know i always felt like Stu got Stu got more um publicity let's say and i mean Stu has the nickname like i said i think Stu has one of the two best sports nicknames in the history of sports the grim reaper uh and i and i and don't get me wrong i think they were two guys that when the ducks first came into the league they pumped up those two guys quite a bit like dallas did when they moved from minnesota with basil and shane churla but i always i always felt like todd didn't get uh, the respect or the credit that he deserved. So maybe in it, maybe in this, you know, for me, uh, I was trying to give him um, what I thought I thought the credit that he deserved because I do think he's someone that when people talk about, you know, the all-time greats, uh, and I, and I'm not saying he should be in anyone's top five, let's say, but I, I do think he's someone that is often overlooked. So. Um, but I, I think if people take the time, go back, uh, get yourself a Todd Ewan DVD and, and watch it. And um, I just liked, I, you know, one of the reasons why I like Todd so much is one of the reasons why I like Mick Lakota so much. Uh, they played the game. They played the NHL game with an attitude. And, um, you know, I always say, like, with Vakoda, he played the he played the game in the NHL the way he played the game in the Western League. Like, he didn't give a fuck. And Todd Todd played a similar game like with a similar attitude. So, um yeah, and, and and about him, his unfortunate passing, um, that really sucked, and uh, it was really gut wrenching to hear, uh, because I did get to know Todd um, a little bit over the years that he played, and uh, and you know obviously Dean, Dean and I are are very close, so uh, so that was a tough one, but uh, but yeah, I mean I have I have no issue putting Todd at, at six, and uh, I, I urge people that maybe. You think of him more as an afterthought because he wasn't he doesn't have like the glamour name like some of the other other bigger name fighters but i don't think he has to take a backseat to anybody no that's exactly what i did right i mean i was ewan was always sort of eh, you know he's there but i got i ended up uh i can't remember who now but somebody sent me yeah todd ewan player dvd I was like, all right. So one night I put it in, it was like, you know, goddamn, you know, this is shit. He's better than I thought he was, you know? And I mean, I always knew he was good. I mean, I knew he wasn't a joke or anything. I always knew he was good, but yeah, you just forget, right? You just see so much stuff over time. You forget, but yeah, you start watching it. It's like, yeah, he was solid, man. No, you was yeah. all right. Yep. Yep. Um, well, number five. Yeah. We, uh, the bomber, 
Ken Baumgartner, one of my favorites. And of course, this year, Toronto and Anaheim, uh, you know, 72 games. He had 25 tilts. And, uh, you know, of course, he had the famous, uh, this is when he had the big knockout of Dean Malakoff that year behind the net. And, uh, unfortunately, he was KO'd by Brad May. But, uh, you know, he had the great fight with Darren McCarty in the preseason. I went back and watched, which was tremendous on YouTube. Uh, but Bomberman, technician. Really unorthodox fighter. God, he, he might, he would have been annoying to fight, I could imagine, but he, uh, I, I, well, I know, I, I know what goes without saying how much of a fan you are, but same thing. Yeah, I'm a big, massive Bomber fan, so I love seeing him at five anyway. Yeah, I think, uh, I think he, this was one of the ones I got criticized for a little bit because I think he was, at at this point in Toronto, I think people looked as Domi as as like one A and Bomber as one B. I never looked at it that way. And um, uh, again, I think once you get to Toronto, I, I think uh, maybe and, and I, I again people that live up there, I can only go by what was put on tapes that I got to see. And I think Bomber did his fair share of interviews and things like that. But I think again, Ty with his with his self promotion, a lot of the times maybe put himself in some situations that helped him get certain opportunities i'm sure he was he was one of the faces of the franchise and um i never looked at bomber as having to take a back seat to tie and um you know even when they were here both playing in new york it was uh, they had a good rivalry but um you know to me bomber's run here with the islanders and, and i've said it a million times i mean it was it was one of the most fun times that I've ever had as a fan. And uh, the Jim McKenzie story that I told about having to pull over and tell my wife that, uh, that uh, the Islanders signed Jim McKenzie. Uh, the first story uh, similar to that was, it actually happened earlier. I was still in college. I was going to St. John's and uh, I'm on the grand central parkway. And I was listening to Imus. I don't know if people in Canada know who Imus is, but yep. uh, I was listening to Imus and uh, it's actually, um, Mike Breen, the guy who does the Knicks games, he was doing uh, sports updates at the time for Imus before he hit it big as uh, probably one of the best basketball announcers, I would guess. I, I know I don't know. I think he's up there. I mean, I don't watch basketball, but and he said the Islanders um, traded Miko Makala for Ken Baumgartner and Hubie McDonough, and I literally almost drove off the road. I was on my way to school. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Because I knew, you know, I knew about Bomber from the fight tapes and everything, and it was actually. Um, the beginning of the season and LA was on, you know, sports channel LA and they had also played the Bruins. So you get like uh, SBK on your cable. So he had fought uh, Lou Crawford, I think with the Bruins, he just tuned up Alan Kerr. Uh, he fought Alan Kerr that year with the Islanders before he got here. So I'm already a Baumgartner fan. Next thing I know he's coming here and it was just unbelievable. And, and uh, his time here with uh, him and Mick, Oh my God, that was uh, that was tremendous. But you know, to me, again, with with Bomber, I, I, like you say, he must be a real pain in the ass to fight. He had those long arms. I think he was deceptively powerful. I, I really do because he wasn't he wasn't a guy that walked around like say Tony Twist with the big muscles or anything. But I don't know, like if there's I, things such as like ligament strength. I think I've heard before, but he was he had long arms and and he he hurt he hurt guys. So uh, and he was a technician. So. We can make this the Ken Baumgartner episode if you want, but I no problem putting him at five. And like I said, people that you know bitched at me at the time about putting Domi at eleven and Bomber at five. Well, you know you should get your own magazine, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm so, down with it, but uh, yeah. Well, and they get number four, another guy that I think sort of I, I think people maybe younger people 
they don't realize because they saw him in kind of Philly in the rain, you know, and then the end of Boston and, eh. but like Sandy McCarthy, when he was in Calgary, when he first came in and in Tampa Bay, he was vicious. And, uh, in this one, 75 games, he had 21 tilts. Um, he had an awesome preseason fight with McSorley that's on YouTube. Definitely check that out. They go forever. Um, he had the knockout of Daniels, big win on Grimson and Bonvi and McKenzie a couple times and Simon and Brashear. Like a young Sandy McCarthy was, he was an animal, man. He was, and I think people forget how good he was. Well, even in the write up here, I guess the year before, I had him at number 19. So it says it's like he moved up 15 spots from the year before and then based on that year that you're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, I mean, Calgary, Sandy McCarthy, you know, like you, older, you know, people that maybe even here, like in this area, that remember him from his time with the Rangers, where I think he was kind of act like a goof half the time. Uh, it was actually really disappointing to see uh, him act like he did with the Rangers, you know, especially, you know, with stuff going on with Eric Cairns, uh, the the goofy shit that he did, and, and Theo Fleury. It was a little disappointing because I remember the absolute Terminator that he was in Calgary. And if if you want to see Prime Sandy McCarthy, you just got to watch his Calgary stuff. And uh, like uh, the rivalry he had with Jim McKenzie, like it's not a rivalry, like off the ice. I actually think they had the same agent at the time, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, but those series of fights were phenomenal. And, you know, it was it was a good time out there. Like you had uh, Gino in Vancouver and you had Sandy in, in Calgary, uh, DeBrusque in Edmonton. So those uh, uh, McKenzie in Winnipeg, you know, so Mar- uh, Marty in L.A. And oh, yeah. 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 So uh, but no, I mean, Sandy McCarthy is he, his whole body of work. It, when you take it as a whole, he's like a lot of guys where stuff later in the career isn't the best. But Calgary Sandy McCarthy is it's insane. Like just. You want to see a guy kick ass, just, you know, put on the Sandy McCarthy DVD from his Calgary years and just sit back and enjoy. Fuck, he's just amazing back then. Yep. Well, number three, uh, Probert. And this was his first year in Chicago. Um, Actually, offensively, you know, 78 games. He had 19 goals, 26 tilts. But it was like a really weird year for Probert when you watch because it really looked like he was – disinterested this is when he gets knocked down by tamer and it's just kind of like it's like he just does he like he'll drop his gloves and it's just kind of yeah whatever hit me and let's get it over with he has this like really blase kind of attitude towards fighting for a bunch of fights in a row then he turns it up and uh you know he kind of actually drops reed simpson in a really good fight in new jersey and it's like oh shit here's the pro of old you know and you know, and then he, he had the tough, he had the pretty good, tough loss against Simon in the playoffs. But this was kind of a weird year with Probert. He's kind of up and down and, you know, it's sort of, um, but he kind of gains it back the next couple of years. And then, you know, it's the beginning of the end at that point. But yeah, this is, this was a really weird year with, for Probert. Yeah. This year was the first year that uh, I didn't have him at number one. Uh, I think he was number one, uh, at least the year before, maybe a couple of years prior to, uh, cause that's one of the things it says in here that, uh, the reigning heavyweight champ has been unseated. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree. Chicago, it was <laughs> like, it's weird to say for us fans watching him with Chicago, that first year was an adjustment. Oh yeah. It really, it really was, yeah. you know, but, uh but yeah, like you say, you talk about the Simon fight in the playoffs. I mean, similar to Sandy McCarthy in Calgary, like when you watch Chris Simon, uh, Colorado and Quebec stuff, like that's 
that stuff's bananas too. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, what what are we going to talk about Probert? I mean, that hasn't been said by anybody. You know, he's he's the legend. I have him at number one all time, and uh, you know, I know I, I I don't see how anyone could have him at you know lower than three. I don't know, like it, depending on if you're a Flyers fan or not. But I mean, he's to me, he's the the man. He's the legend, and uh, you know, I'm I'm happy I got to talk to him a few times. He was really cool. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, how was he talking about fighting? Was he cool with you talking about fighting? I always heard he didn't like really talking about it. You know, the funny thing is, when again, this is this is part of, you know. I guess I have to give credit to Jim Cummins on this one because I never met Probert with, with Detroit and I met him with Chicago and I I had known Jimmy for a few years and I mentioned to him one time, I said, I would love to talk to Proby, but you know, everyone says he doesn't like to talk about fights and this and that. And he goes, you could talk to him about whatever you want. And, you know, Jimmy introduced me to him. And I think, uh, you know, it was over a couple of seasons where, where I would see him when he would come here or we would go, go to Philly or whatever. And, um, you know, the thing he said was, he goes, you know, and I said to him, I said, I know Jimmy said it would be okay, but, you know, is it okay to talk to you about fights? And he goes, you know, the thing is with the media, he goes, everybody, that's all they want to talk about. He says, and after a while, it just, you know, it's just a lot. You know, he goes, I don't mind talking about fighting, but if it's the same reporters with the same questions about the same fights, he goes, I just like to talk about other things. And like you said, he goes, I he goes, you know, I can I can do other things, you know, and, and he goes, I don't mind talking about it. But it, it, I, I got the impression that it was just things with the media where and we all know the deal scoring 29 goals in a season making the all-star team we know that he could play um and i guess maybe if if people would have spoken about that a little bit more maybe he would have been a little more open about it but i get the impression that with the fans i don't think he had an issue and he didn't have an issue talking about it with me and i don't think i was the only one but i think you know putting in having jimmy put in a good word with me i think definitely helped but i i get the impression that he he would talk about fighting with with people like if you're just hanging out talking about it he would talk about it I, I get the impression it was something more with the media that it just got old after a while but to sit down or bullshit with the fan I, I I get the impression he didn't have a problem with that well there we go yeah well well there you said we talked about him earlier number two Chris Simon I mean big 64 games 16 goals 14 tilts I mean you know a big knockout of Buckberger had the big Probert playoff fight. Fought Domi a bunch of times. Did really well. Great fight with Sandy. Long-haired Simon, man, the Undertaker. He was the. This is this is it. This is when he's starting to come into his own, and he's a bad dude, man. I met I met Chris. I, I must sound like a total jackass. Like, hey, I know this guy. I met that guy. But you know, like I said, I put myself in a position to kind of you know, like get to know these guys a little bit. And I think, you know, like I said, I think that helped me out in the long run, but I met Chris when he was a rookie with Quebec and, you know, prior to the undertaker hair and everything. And he was just this big kid, really, really quiet, you know, like just a a really good guy to talk to. And then, you know, as he starts establishing himself and the hair grows long and he's in Colorado, he, he had that low voice that you, you know, if anyone's ever seen him in an interview, you have that low voice. And then, come out with that long hair and the beard and now he has that low voice and you're like this guy is fucking terrifying i'm glad he's on my side like just i mean 
another guy that I'm glad I look at the back of his hockey card. It says New York Islanders. I was happy to have him here. Um, I, I mean, early Chris Simon was devastating. And I think you saw it you know, throughout his career. I mean, it, it, with Washington, the, the way he was scoring goals and, you know, he would still fight guys and everything. Um, you know, I, I mean, again, I'm going to gush about Chris Simon. I always – I'll always have a soft spot for Chris Simon because he was always, always very good to me. Always would, would uh, downstairs, like in the hallway, would always seek me out, always to say hello, see how things are going. So, uh, I mean, I love the guy. And, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, just even going back to you talk about like games on TV when Halifax played Fredericton and he dropped Brashear on there. And that was like really young Chris Simon. But then you see what he did with Quebec. Like if you think about it, like having him and twist on the same team, yeah, it's, it's mind boggling that those two guys would be on the same team. And it's unfortunate that it was, it was only for a short period of time, but you know, when, when you would, uh, you know, and like I said, fortunate enough, I could go to games at the Coliseum. I could go to games in New Jersey. I could go to games, the garden or Philadelphia, and I'd always Quebec was always my second favorite team from the time I was a kid. So you go and you watch these games and you see them both warming up and you're like, oh, I hope they play. And then next thing you know, they come out and they're both playing and it's like, this is awesome. So, I mean, but Chris Simon, you know, I think he could have been number one, but uh, he was uh, he had to settle for, um, you know, a number two. Well, there you go. Number one, Tony Twist, 51 games, 14 tilts. This is the year, of course, that he had the devastating broke Ray's face and uh, great fight with Stoyanov and the Antoski knockdown and uh, kind of got the better of Probert. Although him and Probert never had the real signature fight. None of their fights yeah. were really that great. But, uh, um, yeah, other than the kind of the setback with LaRue who cut him open at the end of the year, um, Twist was an animal, man. And this is right, you know, those couple last couple years in St. Louis um, – yeah, he was the scariest dude. I mean, and I always said you could always tell he was feared because guys would act different when they fight him. Like, because I mean, you yep. watch Reed Simpson or Darren Langdon like covering up, and they they never did that against anybody. But it's just like, but Twist would get you if he got you bent over and in a bad spot. No one was going to stick around. They were just like, screw it, fuck this, and they just dropped to their knees. They're like, I'm not dealing with this shit because you couldn't fight back out of it. Like other guys, you could. They got you in a bad spot. You'd work your way out. You could get back up, and you weren't, you know, worried about it. But when Twist got you in that position, it was like, now nah, I'm done. I don't want to stick around for this. And it was just like, and it's a real shame with the motorcycle accident. And uh, you know, because he was, um, I believe it was Jamie Rivers when I had him on my show, and he was talking like he was a free agent and he was set to sign like a huge contract. And I can't remember. I have to ask Rivers again. Philly. It was with Philly, right? Philly. I was going to say yep. Boston or Philly, but yeah, it was Philly. Philly. You imagine Twist in Philly, and at that time, like like a primed up in his because I think he was only in like thirty one, thirty two, and you know whatever you could say, whatever you want, what he was on or whatever. But nonetheless, he was into it, ready to kill someone, and primed like he was just a man at this point. And there's no doubt he should have been number one on your list, without a doubt. Yeah, and I think this was the one year where guys were still willing to fight him. I, like you said, I think he had 14 fights. I wonder if that's the most he had with uh, with St. Louis. But and actually, he was someone that I used to 
you know, once these, once he started taking his spot at number one on these, I used to joke around with him when he would come here. I'd say, I made you look at this, look at this. I made your career, you know, and we would always laugh about it because obviously I didn't make his career, but I would always joke around with him and say, you're you because of these magazines. So, uh, because he ended up being on the cover three times, oh, yeah. he was on the, he was on the cover three times. So I would always bust his balls and say that I made his career and I, I, uh, he owed me some of his contracts, but Obviously, that was just a joke. But, yeah, this, you know, he's a guy, again, a lightning rod on, uh, you know, on the message boards back in the day and now on the on Facebook and the groups because you get the people that absolutely love him that think he, he never lost a fight and uh, is invincible. And then you get the people that uh, hate him because he's so beloved by other people. And I don't necessarily get that. I guess that's just as some people are. But I don't really... I don't really know how you could be a hockey fight fan and not like the guy. Like he's, yeah. there's, there are so many guys who've done this job that don't want to talk about it, that, that will say they only do it because, you know, not that they're forced into it, but I knew if I wanted to progress in my career, I had to start fighting. And here you have a guy that not only embraces the role, like he just, he'll talk about it and he loves it and he loves to fight. So when I see people, and I don't know if it's people that are jealous that he gets more love than their favorite fighters, and I don't know because you always see like whenever a, a twist topic comes up, it's always the same people going, "Well, whatever." He's I like this guy, and it's always, I'm always like, "So what's the point?" But I don't understand for a guy, and you know, he had the knockout power, he has the name, he was very. Um, once he went back to the Blues, he's all over. Um, you know, interviews and, and doing stuff for them. So he's out there and he's a guy that just totally embraced the role. I, I don't know how you can't love the guy. Now, whether you, whether you love him to the point where you make people sick, that's another story. But for the amount of heat this guy takes, I just, from hockey fight fans, I will never, ever understand it. Like he should be, you know, the poster boy, like another guy like Jared Burnett loved the role. And, a lot of people don't really care for him and I don't understand that you don't have to you know love the guy but the guys that embrace it and you know and obviously for for you know Bernie played some games in NHL but Tony Twist was a mainstay for a few years and people that shit on him I just I don't get it but you know to each their own but yeah I mean you know uh I don't know if Tony listens but Tony I made you I made your career with these. No, again, I'm just kidding. But uh, but it was fun. He he was always someone that I I I, uh, I love talking to because it was never a question of hey, do you think Twist will talk about this fight? Because he would talk about anything, and he was really a personable guy. I would actually love to reconnect with him, but uh, but I, I haven't made the effort. I don't know. He's not on social media, but again, I don't. I have no issue putting him at number one here or any of the other times I put him at number one. So. No, absolutely. He was a dominant force at that time. And yeah, same, like again, I don't get the hate for Twist. It's, well, he's on roids. He's only good because he's on roids. Oh, this is St. Louis Twist, not Quebec Twist. Like, okay, what, like, he wasn't on him in Quebec. How, like, okay, I saw him in junior. He was massive in junior, too. So it's like, yeah. you know, come on. Like, I'm not going to say he was on him. He wasn't on, whatever. If he was on him, I can guarantee he wasn't the only one that was on him, folks. But it was just like, uh, who gives a shit? It's just like, whatever. I, I never understood that. That, I'm like, what test did, did he ever test positive? I've never heard of a positive test, so I don't know where you're getting it. You just assume, and that becomes like folklore, right? Like, whatever. And it's like you see him, and it's like, yeah, he's a big dude, but, 
like he's not Patrick Cote LNAH big. Like, right. you know, so I'm like, oh, okay, you know. But uh yeah, anyway, I mean regardless, you know, um Royds are not fight he was toughing with Junior. Like he did that shit in the SJ or in the SJ in the uh, WHL. He dropped dudes back then too, so it's like, yeah, he was just and in the IHL and all the way up, he was a vicious dude. He fought I mean um, if people haven't, I would suggest go to my YouTube, fourth line voice on YouTube, type in Tony twists, um, talks about the enforcer role and listen to that interview. And that's like, yeah, he's serious. He's like, he was serious and he, he fought to knock you out, put you through the ice and there was no good job, buddy. Let's work out in the summer. Good job, bro. Good luck to you, bro. No, it was like, I'm going to knock your head off. And it's like, how do you not, you know, hey, the dude took the role serious and no one messed with the blues when he was around. So, yeah. And the, the thing, two things that you said, uh, one, the thing with the roids, um, you know, whether he was on him or not, I don't know. I don't know of any test, but like you say, you can kind of look at guys and be like, OK, so I agree with you 100 percent. If he was doing them, he definitely wasn't the other, the only one. No. But more, more importantly, the second thing, and you brought it up because I, I see people making this argument all the time. Well, he's not the guy he was in Quebec. I think Quebec twist was st- still pretty fucking good. Like, yeah, I see that all the time, and I'm like, what, what, what Quebec fights did you watch? Because Twist in Quebec was still pretty fucking good, and he still, you know, hurt guys. Uh, you talk about knocking out Peluso, you know, again, it's like Quebec's version of Tony twist was still very good. So I laugh when I hear people go, Oh, that's the first St. Louis um, tenure of twist, or that's the Quebec version of twist. The Quebec version of twist is still better than most guys. So what the fuck are you talking about? Well, when he's in Peoria, even he's knocking out, he's dropping link gates and, Kerry yeah. Clark and all like okay yeah he was good then too like yeah I don't understand this like well that it's like well he was better in his second term in St. Louis well yeah he's also seven years older and in his prime like you know right. I mean that's the thing you, these guys like like that's the thing with Ray and his jersey yeah he got better with the jersey well he also entered his prime with his jersey on too like these guys right. get better as they get older I mean yeah. into their prime and then and then you hit that point and then you start the downhill, like as, as with everyone, they always, and there's a decline, but it's like, yeah, twist was hitting his prime in St. Louis the second time around. So it's like, yeah. So, Oh, he's better now. Well, yeah, it's called evolution. Of course he's getting better. Like, (laughs) but yeah, it's like, yeah, but yeah, twist at number one, there's no argument from me on that, but, uh, well, man, that was, that was fun to go back in, uh, the 95, 96 and to kind of get in your head and talk about it and, and talk about your interactions with these guys. I've never actually asked you about that stuff. So it was cool to hear those stories. And, uh, I know you got to get barbecue and I got a lasagna to take <laughs> care of, but, uh, no, I think, uh, I think we gave the, the folks a little flashback into 95, 96 and, uh, Joe Lazito and his tough guy rankings. But, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on today. It was great. Well, yeah, I have dead animals. I got to get on my grill. I don't know if uh, that offends PETA, but uh, no, nah, man, I, I like I said uh, before we started recording, I could do this every night. You know, I, I really could. Uh, uh, this was easy for me. This was a lot of fun. 
And, uh, you know, for you people out there listening, I hope you enjoyed it. But because I know I did, this was uh, this was a blast. You know, it kind of brings you back to 25 years ago, back when uh, these guys actually made a difference and they weren't, uh, you know, looked upon, you know, with uh, all the negativity that, the, as you call them, the Gen Zs look at these guys now. So, uh, you know, but there it is. So, but yeah, no, this was great. I'm, I'm really happy to, to have done this and uh, I'm sorry if I yammered on too long. No, it's tremendous. And uh, for those listening, I, I encourage you to check out Joe's show at the Coliseum Chronicles. He just had a part two with Rick Hayward's out and uh, I'm really enjoying it. I haven't finished it all yet, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying Rick as a guest. You've had great guests and, yeah, Mick Fakota, Bolton, Asham, all those guys. You guys hear me ramble about it every every episode. I'm always talking about Joe's show, but definitely check it out. And uh, it certainly will not be the last time I have you on, my friend. But uh, I want to thank you again. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Actually, I, we'll have to break out the other issues. And we'll have a, yeah. we'll, we'll go down some timelines here. and Because uh, like I said, it's, it's a fun kind of... Uh, time capsule piece you know it's certainly a different time and a different era and uh yeah no it was a lot of fun yeah definitely we could do that we could uh you know go over uh you know maybe to mix it up a little bit we could do the uh, section that it had an official book because that was a little bit different um but yeah whatever you want to do man uh whatever you need me i'm here and uh i'm ready to go excellent well thank you very much i appreciate it and uh i'll let you go but uh thanks again joe appreciate it And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 